Drive All Night is supported by listeners like you. To find out how you can help, please visit patreon.com slash songsoftoriamus. There you'll learn what exciting rewards we're offering for your support. Again, that's patreon.com slash songsoftoriamus to help us continue to make high quality and Torytainment for you. I really believe we have to work with the adult and the little kid and the ancient being inside ourselves. You know, we're made up of all these things. If you, in, in ancient mythology, they would show the young priestess with the um, uh, witch woman, woman fertility and the old crone with the wisdom. Right. And it's past, present and future all um, conjunctioning at one time. Hey everybody, you're listening to Drive All Night, the songs of Tori Amos. We are your hosts, I'm Ephraim Jr. And I'm David Anderson. And on today's episode, we're talking about Mother, the ninth track from Tori's first album, Little Earthquakes. David. Hey, e. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you for asking. Mm, you know what? I'm not going to lie to you. I have some concerns going into this episode. Talk to me. My Talk cons- to me about your troubles. My concerns are threefold. Tell me your dreams. Am I in them? All right. I walked into your dream. <laughs> I've forgotten how to dream my own dream. Oh, God. Wrong song. <laughs> no, that's the right song. <laughs> well, this is going to be great. I can tell. <laughs> Tell me about your troubles, David. Ready for me to lament my troubles? We're not there yet. What, is, what do you mean by that? I'm just foreshadowing. Oh, foreshadowing. Okay. okay, great. Mother is one of my favorite songs. Okay, so top, I've heard. I've heard the rumor. five. You go, girl. I love a you go, girl. <laughs> so I want to make sure that we do it justice. So I'm feeling like a little anxious about it, a little overwhelmed. I'm counting on you to anchor me. Concern number two, this is definitely one of the songs that is most likely to make me cry at any given time. So I'm hoping to escape this episode with both a dry eye and a, a dry womb because <laughs> my third... I guarantee your womb will be dry by the time you leave. <laughs> because my third concern is I feel like leather really like unlocked something within me. I felt a shift. I felt different after that episode. I was crossing my legs. So I don't know what's going to happen after mother. Am I going to be with child? No, I'm not in any place to be a single parent at this point. (laughs) So let's practice safe podcasting. Okay. I brought protection. Okay, good. We're sitting 12 feet away from each other, basically. So um, Um, if anything happens, it will be immaculate conception for sure. I don't think that you need to worry about anything happening. A, B, you may cry. We have cried here before. C, you want to hear my troubles? Yes. My troubles fall under the heading of C. C, trouble the first. I don't seem to be as connected to this song as you are. So subheading A, I'm excited for you to show me. So that's C1A, I'm excited for you to show me the way of mother. C2, my other trouble is, will I get it? This is a personal internal struggle. Will I get it? At the end of it all, will I have gotten it? I don't know. That's what I'm striving for at the end of the whole podcast experiment. When we get to the end of the last album, will I have gotten it all? But subheading C3... 
I want to use this episode to go on a journey to understand mother the way that you do, because I, I see that it moves you. Well, I have a couple things to say. First of all, that's the duality that we bring to the show. Mm -hmm. Maybe I identify a little bit more with the feminine divinity, <laughs> the Clearly. female power songs. And me and, and you're totally about like, Yeah, you're about like the masculine rhythm, like yeah, yeah. the that's bangers me. like hotel. That's me. Yeah. I'm all about that butch rhythm. Mm -hmm. If it's not a <laughs> playground for your ears, you're yes. not interested in swinging on that jungle gym. So when did you first hear mother i wish i could pinpoint the first time that i listened to the song this must have been one of the very last songs that clicked for me but it quickly became a favorite definitely my favorite from the album and like i said top five of all time so it is near and dear to me for sure i don't remember a moment you know when the skies opened up and i really connected with it and was like this is amazing but it certainly happened at some point but it was a slow burn as most good relationships are we built intimacy <laughs> over time i agree every relationship that has gone really really fast for me has just been a flash in the pan mm. but it's interesting that the that your favorite song on the album is the one that you connected with last yeah i didn't really think about it but you're right so it took the longest to get a hold of you but it's taken the longest to let go mm. and you're not necessarily connected to it like you said so i would imagine that you don't remember the first time that you heard it either or maybe well, you do. i do remember the first time i heard it i remember the first time i heard the whole cd and there was a certain point when i used to not connect with an album right away now like i'm just I can't imagine a time when I didn't love these songs, you know? So when I say it's my least favorite on the album, that means very little because it's still amazing and the album is amazing. It holds a very special place and it holds a very nostalgic place in my heart. So I can get emotional about it as if it were. So if anyone looking from the outside would think, God, he's listening to his favorite song. He's just rocking back and forth and crying. <laughs> but this album took a minute to grow on me. I get that. And if you will allow me to look into the future once again okay. here, I believe you feel, felt, are feeling the same way about putting the damage on. <laughs> are we conjugating now? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just covering all my bases Okay. about putting the damage on, meaning like you like it, obviously, but if you had to rank it, it would fall at the end yeah. of the album for you. It would be at the bottom of your list. And I wanted... I just, I'm not ready to let my partner move on that's and why i have problems with so that really song. it's just spite that's yeah, informing really. your ranking all right yeah. that's fair you're not pretty when you're putting the damage on you're no longer pretty now that's a song now that's what i want to say and i want wanted and wanting to swap your rank just one rung move putting the damage on up just one rung that's all i ask so i would like to try to accomplish the same thing with mother okay by the end if we were going to swap mother 12 with what's 11 what would it be um, I think probably 11 would end up being leather, but I'm not sure. I haven't ranked them or anything. Oh, man. Well, there's little hope then if leather is still at the end of your list after the leather <laughs> episode. I mean, you have to remember, these are amazing songs on an amazing album. Something's got to be last. It's like rating your children. I hear that a lot. And I want you to rank the whole album now because now I have to know. Give okay. me your 12 and what do you, do you want? want them in ass ending order or D sending order? Descending. You're always going for the D, David. What can I say? It's been a while. Okay. Number one, of course, would be Precious Things. Number two, Little Earthquakes. Three is Girl. Four is Crucify. Five is Silent All These Years. Six is Me and a Gun. Seven is Happy Phantom. Eight is Tear in Your Hand. Nine is Winter. Ten is China. Eleven is Leather. Okay. And then twelve is Mother. 
China leather winter mother. Okay, so we can swap leather and mother our last two episodes coincidentally. I mean, they're like the, I don't know. When I say it, they're at the bottom of the list. Please know, I mean, they're all at the top of the list. I know. There's precious things and then everything else clumped together below it. I get it. Can I play two? I yeah. love a ranking. Okay. But I wanted an ass ending order. Really? Yeah. Okay. Least favorite to favorite. Yeah. I want a surprise. You're always about the ass. Mm-hmm. An ass ending order. Me and a gun. China, Happy Phantom, Tear in Your Hand, Leather, Silent All These Years, Precious Things, Winter, Crucify, Girl, Little Earthquakes, and Mother. Interesting that you put precious things so far down. Same as you. It's a tough choice to make, but something's got to go there. So, Well, luckily, we here on this show treat every song as if it's our favorite song when we explore it, when we research it. So you don't have to worry, ladies and gentlemen, and non-binaries. And usually by the end of every episode, even it's if it's our it, new favorite. Yeah, seriously. And if it doesn't <laughs> switch the rankings, we definitely have a newfound appreciation yeah, for it. So. That's true. That's the beauty of what doing the show has done for me is that it's given me that really intense appreciation for every song. Mm. I'm not a songwriter, right? It takes a lot of work to write a song. Some songs come to you just miraculously out of the ether, but some most songs I've noticed take a long time to write. <laughs> you know, you got to go through several processes and several steps and it just is a lot. A dark night of the soul. Yeah. At least one per song. And I'm not even talking about the emotional sort of catapulting into the song or the emotional kickstart. I'm talking about like the process of writing. Like, okay, like that doesn't quite fit. What key am I going to write? What chords am I going to use? Like, what's the rhythm going to be, the melody, the tempo? Jesus Christ. And then you got to add lyrics to it. And then you got to record a demo. And then you got to go, you got to pay money for a studio. And then you got to record it in a studio. And then you got to get players to play the instruments. And then you got to figure out how to record the instruments and then put it all together into one song. It's a lot of work. That's why I gave up my career in music. That's why I never started. It's a lot of work. So I just want to be clear. I love Mother. It's just not my favorite on the album. But I'm excited to find out why it's your favorite. All right. Mother hears you. I feel... (laughs) Mother shows you unconditional love, regardless of how you lash out at her and don't appreciate her. (laughs) She's been there for you Mm. all these years, and you don't even care. Uh, I do care. I want to go live with dad. I want to go live with winter, mom. (laughs) Precious thing gets me. (laughs) Let's me stay out all night. Mother was originally written in 1990, along with the songs Upside Down and Berlin Wall, and the original title of the song was Somebody Leave the Light On. And this is pulled from a June 1990 cassette that Tori submitted for copyright where the song was called Somebody Leave the Light On. Obviously later changed to Mother. This song acoustic piano and vocal by Tori Amos, recorded by John Beverly Jones and produced by David Seegerson from the album Little Earthquakes which was Tori Amos's first album her first solo record under the name Tori Amos released January 13th, 1992 in the United Kingdom and early February 1992 in the US and those dates are pulled from the Tori Amos collective book which we have sitting by us right now whenever we do an episode we keep all we have tori amos insights we have two different copies of all these years because one was updated we have the collectibles and then the updated collectibles we have the lyrics book we got everything around us and when we turn to our research documents we're both dressed as sexy librarians and polka dot <laughs> tights yes and when we record we sit on the arm of the chair with our breasts thrust outward and our hands tossed back it's really awkward and uncomfortable but we're willing to suffer for our art yeah we gotta do it we have to do it right if we're gonna do this show I love that our authoritative collectibles book that we look to often has, I don't know, early February. No, it's true. Nobody can pinpoint the day that 
Little Earthquakes was released in the United States. Maybe, I don't really remember, in the early 90s, if it wasn't an event album by a huge artist, was Tuesday release day always I think it back must then? Have been. Or did like an album like this just kind of show up when they felt like putting it out? Here's my speculation, is that she did really well in the United Kingdom with this album, with the release of the album. So they kind of did a slow shuffle out to the United States. And it had already been released. There was already copies floating around. And they thought, okay, let's try to push this to the United States market. So it wasn't on a schedule, for example. It wasn't mm. like on this day, Tori Amos Little Earthquakes is released to the United States. They were just kind of like, okay, let's ship some copies and start selling them when you get them. You know what else I would like to add to our list of questions along with what was the album going to be called before you wrote Little Earthquakes? Right. As a follow-up, I'd like to know if they ever considered any kind of alternate track listing for the American release, because a lot of times at that point, if an artist or an act hit it big in the UK, a lot of times the album was released in a different format or with a different track yeah. listing or something in the US. And yes. this came soon after, so I guess they weren't really considering that. But I'm wondering if that was ever part of the conversation, because they were convinced that an American audience was not going to get this music. I think that's a great observation. And I want to point out Sinead O'Connor's The Lion and the Cobra Irish and UK release with the angry face where she's holding her body and she's like in the middle of a scream yeah. versus the United States cover where she's soft and serene and a, a nice little shaved lady head. We could not handle an angry we, woman. We can't, yes. Like a lion and a cobra? Maybe oh, right. we should just pick no, one. No, thank you. Call yeah. it the lion. Right. Call it the lion, please. Can we call it the cat? <laughs> the kitten. <laughs> Sinead O'Connor's first album, The Kitten. The Kitten and the Chameleon. Yes. But I think that's exactly right. We cannot handle it. An angry woman. And that has never been more clear in Tori Miss's career than already here in Little Earthquakes yeah. at the beginning. Yes. Well, similarly, I do seem to remember her mentioning that when Little Earthquakes was added, that the label had a problem with a song that wasn't the title track having a longer runtime. Because I think Mother is longer than Little Earthquakes. And for some reason, that was like a little bit of a sticking point for them. Really? Yeah. I've never heard that. Yeah. That's so weird. That's a weird thing to be to have as a sticking point for a record label. Yeah. What would be the thought behind that? If you're going to bother to call your album after a specific song, it has to be, I don't know. Like the most grandiose number yeah, on... the most yeah. substantial for sure. Yeah. Then call the album Mother. <gasps> Maybe that was the original name of the album. Anything's possible. Tori Amos Mother. All lowercase Mother, God with the big G would have been the follow-up. So should we talk about our guests before we get on with it, Who's David? Who's coming to mom's house? Today we have two of the biggest mothers I know. <laughs> Yes. Emily Cousins and Alexander Leger Small. Dang, that's a one-two punch. Mama said knock me out. But don't let the name fool you. He's Leger Tall. <laughs> they are super fans of the song Mother and also wonderful friends of ours and supporters of our show. So we're happy to have them both on together to talk not only about Mother, the song, but also I'm going to ask them some questions about their mothers. I think you should. Questions for those two mother lovers. We'd also like to say thank you to the lovely Shay Stymac for putting together our show notes today. Thank you, Shay. Shay there. Your quotes are here. <laughs> <laughs> we can't remember what she said. This. No. <laughs> shame, buddy. Leave the light on. <laughs> Thanks, Shay. I hope you're feeling the deep shame that only a parent can feel. So should we get on with it then, David? Let's go. Let's do this. Let's get in the car. The car's here. Oh, uh, green? Black Chariot. Okay. This is a cover of Mother by Christopher O'Reilly. We're going to let this lead us into the next act, David. Show us those breadcrumbs. We'll follow them.
And so I just started with steps and more steps to try and find out my own mind and why I'm thinking the way I'm thinking. And it just, it's constant. It just takes a lot of work. It's the keys to the um, subconscious, really. It's going in there and finding out what I'm really saying, not what I, you know, I'm lip servicing to everybody at the dinner table, but what, what I'm really thinking. So that's what this album is about. It's about what I'm really thinking. stuff that's when that's when you're powerful Mother appears on Little Earthquakes, Tori Amos' solo debut from 1992. It also appears on the Crucify Limited Edition box set, live from a performance June 15th, 1992. First my left foot, then my right behind the other breadcrumbs lost under the snow. Interesting choice to me. How come? This song doesn't show up a whole lot, period, but particularly live. So the fact that she would choose that to feature is just a little surprising to me. Well, get ready to be further surprised, David, because in another surprising move, obviously Tori recorded some live performances for the Little Earthquakes VHS. She also recorded Mother for the VHS, though it didn't appear on the VHS. Here is Mother, Rotterdam 92, professional quality, should have been on the VHS, obviously, from the same night as her Little Earthquakes and the leather performance but go check out the video it's amazing we'll link to it in our show notes songs of The next time we hear from Mother is over 10 years later, David, when it appears on one of her original bootlegs from Chicago, Illinois, 15th of April, 2005. Let's play that here. Go, 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 go now you. Out of the nest each time. Go, go, go now. Suki's without a seat. 10 years? That's what happens when you move out. Like, why don't you call more? Just come over to do your laundry. <laughs> the next time we hear from Mother is the next year in 2006 on Tori Mrs. box set, A Piano. Mother appears as an alternate mix. What is the difference between the alternate mix and the original? I was hoping you could tell me because with just piano and vocal, maybe they're mixed slightly differently. Right. And she's talked about having a hard time hunting down the masters when she was putting this box set together and that some of the final mixed versions that appeared on the album were damaged. Mm. So they had to use alternate mixes. So maybe that's the case here. But if there's any audible difference, it's kind of lost on me, unfortunately. Same. So. Though it continues to astound me when seminal album or a seminal work from some artist or even just a masterwork of an artist or the master tapes seem to be mismanaged or seemingly uncared for. It just strikes me as really disrespectful. Yeah, me too. But apparently it happens a lot. 
Yeah, and it's like, come on, music industry, let's preserve our... I'm so glad everything's basically digital now. Yeah, no kidding. Um, but like in the day, like, you know, the Warner Brothers fire where Sheryl Crow's entire catalog was decimated, yeah. including not only masters of album tracks, but all of the sessions, all of the B-sides, any alternate takes she ever wanted to release, any potential for release in the future, gone. That's heartbreaking. It is. Yeah. It's like it completely erases a person's body of work. Yeah. And it really is like having a piece of history or an era wiped out completely. It's infuriating that these record companies will let something like that happen. I guess everyone is just so focused on the now that when something is over, they move on. It's like, meh, not a priority. Well, as far as we know, Tori has all of her masters, right? Because from culling together the box set, at least, she was able to copy the thing. She talked a lot at that time about getting everything on digital and getting everything in their Cornwall studio. So. Yeah. I mean, they may be under the couch cushions, they may be behind the refrigerator, but she can at least start with, they're in this house somewhere. <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> like my keys. We next hear from Mother. In 2007, it appears on two separate legs and boots, Indianapolis, Indiana on November 2nd, 2007, and Lawrence, Kansas on November 9th, 2007. Here's Indianapolis. For you, we told you all of our secrets, all but one. Don't you even? It's rare to get her to play mother within a week of playing mother, but here she is, and she recorded it and released it. That is a little strange, but she does tend to do that with songs on occasion. Mm -hmm. Like for some reason, they're extra present for her, or she forgets about them, and then she plays it once, and she's like, I like it. Oh, yeah. And then she keeps doing it. You might get three or four more, and then it falls off the face of the earth again. Yeah. The last time we hear from Mother in Tori Amos's body of work is on her Little Earthquakes reissue in April of 2015, both the studio version and the live version from the Crucified box set EP. Love it. I'll take all the mothers. Take all the mothers. In a, in a role reversal, I'll give all the mothers homes. Because <laughs> I see this, unfortunately, it breaks my heart every time when people rank this album or Tory songs in general, they usually put this one at the bottom and people usually complain that it's boring live. And I am furious with all the wrath of a mother (laughs) (laughs) a mother cub exactly the lioness in me comes out (laughs) like you have crossed her song my line (laughs) mother through the looking glass yeah Do you have anything else before we start our quotes, David? You know what? I really love the sequencing of Little Earthquakes, and I think we've talked about that. I think it's perfection. Oh, absolutely. So I love where this song falls, and I love the instrumental piano intro. And on that note, if we want to look at the first three albums as a trilogy of sorts, that's one of the things that ties them together, is that all three of them have a song with a long instrumental piano intro, and we never got that from her again. Mm -hmm. And if we were to count Beauty Queen as a different song separate from Horses, then Mm -hmm. technically Technically, they would all be track nine. Mm. Boys for Pele kind of screws it up because Muhammad is eight. But if mm-hmm. we wanted to cheat a little bit, they would all be track nine. And so oh, let's just say that that's the case. <laughs> yeah, we've got Mother, Icicle, and Muhammad, Muhammad my, friend. my friend. Yep, That's a great observation. All right, now I'm ready for some quotes. This is from the Little Earthquakes songbook. Tori says, Mother came on a bit like a dream sleep. It was early morning when I made the way to the piano. I knew that they were trying to show me something, a memory of the fall, not the one we've been taught, but the other side of the story, which is the belief of certain ancient mythologies. Mother changed me because I began to remember where I believe we came from. Thoughts? Well, that's a lot. And I think this song is really going to open up because I think there's kind of a double meaning here or a dueling narrative happening. And I think this is the first sort of inkling 
feeling of that that we get. I think if one were to read it on a surface level, it's like, what do you mean? It's about a mother. It's about Tori's mother. It's about kind of an adolescent leaving home. But I think there's way, 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 way more going on here. So Tori doesn't mention her mom <laughs> in this quote. She doesn't so. at all. And this is from the Little Earthquake songbook, which is back in the collectibles days and back in 1992. Any extra insight into these songs, we would soak it up. And mm-hmm. here was some insight into the song. It's like, what? Yeah. We were like Tori Sham Wows. <laughs> and no one has rung us out yet. Yeah. Sopping wet with Tori knowledge. Because I look at the song and I agree. I see it as like an adolescent leaving home, a mother-daughter relationship. I'm very excited to see how you tie the song together for our audience and for myself. No pressure. Yeah, exactly. You're leading. Take the lead, David. You <laughs> want to read this next quote from Keyboard Magazine, September 1992? He, pointing to Eric across the table, was there when some of the songs were being written. Mother was written at 6.30, 7 in the morning. We were on a futon in the little place I had at the time in Hollywood. And I got up really early and started meandering on the piano. I meandered for about 25 minutes and I started to get this, hums the intro to Mother. And I hear this voice from the futon, what's that? And I said, oh, it's shit, forget about it. And he yells, play it again. What happens with each one is that there will be a word that comes with the melody. Then a bridge section will start to work and I'll know it wants to be there. And then maybe I can't figure anything else out, so I'll put it aside. Three months later, I'm walking down the street and I'll come up with four notes. And that's what I'm going to build the next section on. You think that's how this happened? Is that she got the melody, the dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun, that part? And then the bridge worked itself out. I escape into your escape into our very favorite fearscape. Yeah. And then she's like, God, shit, don't listen. Don't listen. Don't listen. Don't look at me. Turn away. I'm hideous. (laughs) We have a lot to thank Eric for. He pulled a couple songs out of the fire here for sure. Imagine if she just abandoned this. I know. And how many times that may have happened since. And even then. Even during this era, if there was no one around, there were probably dozens of songs she just tossed and was like, no, it's shit. Right. It's interesting because this isn't a song that he works on. You know, he co-produced Girl, Little Earthquakes, Precious Things, and Tear in Your Hand. But Mm. this is something he's not really invested in as a producer. Right. But just as maybe, you know, a partner and listening to her playing. Imagine what that's like is to hear her playing these songs that she just kind of gives up, throws away. Well, Eric was kind of a foster parent to a lot of these songs, though, Mm -hmm. right? Because he was around. all these years, too? Yes. Yeah. He was around. And as we understand it, putting the timeline together, this was one of the earliest songs that she wrote for the album. So that point he was probably encouraging her at every point to not throw anything away or to keep going with Record something at all yeah i want to talk about the quality of the song too because more than any other song on the album you can kind of hear the demo like quality of the song do you know what i mean when i say that the mix of it is very low so when you turn it up so that you can hear that piano intro you hear room tone very clearly i feel like you've said to me before that you were listening to it in really high quality and that you could hear tape hiss oh yeah or some sort easily. of mm-hmm. easily and i wonder if that is pulled from an old tape or like maybe if the intro is tacked on in any kind of capacity i wonder Hmm. i don't know you may be right but to me this is also so much tori as composer and i miss that Mm. not that she isn't a composer when she's like more pop oriented but it's different and i miss these moments on the piano i don't know they seem pretty crafted to me but you could be right i wonder add that to our list okay from little earthquakes bio press kit folder in february 92 she says i wanted mother to draw some of her imagery from hansel and gretel little girls can be very sexual but there's an innocence a vulnerability there which can't be abused thoughts on that as it relates to mother obviously that imagery is present with the breadcrumbs lost under the snow and again there's a lot a lot happening on different levels here with the narrative but i do see a child's or an adolescent's journey into adulthood and going off on their own and that can be like an innocent child a literal babe in the woods i guess kind of wandering off in a fairy tale to get up into all kinds of trouble and reach some newfound sense of self or self-actualization so 
Did you ever have that moment where you were scared to leave home? Oh, yeah, for sure. Right after college, I had no idea what I was doing, and I was kind of fighting tooth and nail, digging my heels in, refusing to be an adult. Really? Yeah, for sure. You couldn't get me out of the house fast enough. Yeah, I didn't have that experience. As rough (laughs) as my relationship with my parents got at some points, I was like, "Mm, what's scarier? That or trying to become independent and figure out how to adult and live? I still haven't. (laughs) If I would have told myself, it's an ongoing process, you don't have to have all the answers now. It'll be till the end of your life. Maybe then you'll figure it out. I would have been like, okay, I guess I'll get started then. You're still doing it though, right here where you're saying, maybe then I'll figure it out. Maybe at the end of my life, I'll have all the answers. But people at the end of their life are probably thinking that same thing, which is like, I still don't have the answers. Yeah. You know, and it is an ongoing process. And I agree with you. If anybody could have told me when I was growing up, like there's not a magic moment or a magic number where you become an adult and then you, you know, you are now an adult. I didn't feel like I was an adult until the age of 33 when somebody told me this is the age that Jesus Christ died on the cross yeah. and it's the it's the year that a boy becomes a man and I actually had felt already at that age different I felt different I was paying my bills everything was working properly I had interests I had friends I had a life I had a job I don't know there was something that made me feel very different and inside I felt different I still don't have any of the answers but I don't think I ever will but you're still doing it. Maybe then I'll have the answers. Yeah. Don't ever leave home, David. This is your home right here. Thank God. <laughs> I'm going to be late with the rent. Oh, great. Uh, <laughs> you can just take it out of your inheritance. That's fine. You want to read this quote from Ur from the Netherlands on March 7th, 1992? Tori must have really loved this publication. They get good quotes. And sometimes she shares things that she never shared elsewhere. So That's let's true. see what they get this time. Okay. I love that song, Mother. It's not just a song about a mother-daughter relationship. It's so much more like how it was in the past eons ago when we weren't made of flesh and blood yet and our free spirits were floating around There was no good or bad expression just free expression I have a certain idea about the deluge flood that differs from the accepted interpretation My vision has to do with the disagreement in yourself the way you can split up yourself Which means the way you judge a certain part of yourself. Why is Caroline's green so much better than mine? Instead of this, you can see the expression of others just as a message and stay true to yourself. The deluge flood had to do with judgments. Some kind of energy is taking power over you when you start blaming yourself and condemn yourself. Mother the car is here means arriving on a place like Earth where that energy is very dark and attractive and sensual. That's also a part of us. If you try to separate those things strictly, like light and dark, like those new age people do, then you're acting superior. Then your hands are so clean, no filth under your nails, no wisdom. So you have to unify those two things. That's what I tried to do in Mother. The idea of, if I like it, I hope I can remember. Maybe it happened a billion years ago. That is a very dense quote. Yes, it sure is. Let's break it down a little bit. Let's take it piece by piece, if you will. Let's resistance to take it piece by piece. Okay. I love that song, Mother. Okay, I get that part. (laughs) Check. It's not just a song about a mother-daughter relationship. It's so much more. Mm -hmm. Check. Notice that's as far as she goes with any idea of a mother-daughter relationship. Like no further explanation. Not like, oh, when I was moving to LA to explore Mm -hmm. my music, nothing. Yeah. No. (laughs) You're right. Like how it was in the past, eons ago, when we weren't made of flesh and blood yet, and our free spirits were floating around. So this is prior to humanity. She's thinking on a sort of cosmic scale or a... Metaphysical, we could say. Absolutely, yeah. There was no good or bad experience. Expression, just free expression. Okay, I'm with her so far. Are you? Yeah, I believe so. When she says, I have a certain idea about the deluge flood that differs from the accepted interpretation, what does she mean? She's, She's talking, talking about Noah's Ark? Yes, right. Okay, so what's the accepted interpretation? Because I'm not religious. That God sent the flood to wipe out humanity to teach us all a lesson because people were sinning 
essentially. Okay. okay. And yeah. there was an actual flood. Like we can trace this back to history? No. Oh. <laughs> no. <laughs> there was not a real flood. I mean, maybe there was, but most people take it on faith. Well, there must be a flood if she says, I have a certain idea about the flood that differs from the accepted interpretation. Well, we could really go deep down the rabbit hole here and say she's looking at the idea of the flood as a myth, something oh, okay. that reveals some kind of truth and not get all wrapped up in whether or not the there's actuality. it's historical okay, fact. Okay, yeah. I'm with you. I'm, I'm with you again. I'm okay. with you, Tori. I'm still, I'm still here. Don't leave me behind. <laughs> Mom! My vision has to do with the disagreement in yourself, the way you can split up yourself, which means the way you judge a certain part of yourself. Okay, so this sort of war that you're having in yourself has caused this thing, has caused this sort of cosmic rift because you're judging yourself and you're not accepting pieces of who you are. Yeah, and you could look at it as, you know, Tori's always about compartmentalization. She mm-hmm. was on brand from the get-go. She truly sort was. Sort of hiding away those pieces of yourself that you're not proud of or that you don't want to own or we could also look at it and i think that's kind of what she's weaving in here is separation between self and god that god is always outward rather than inward or looking at yourself as part of something bigger and not accepting yourself as part of the divine yeah why is caroline's green so much better than mine that reminds me of a lyric from later She's referencing herself. I've said it before. Tori is never so as inspired as when she inspires herself. (laughs) (laughs) Instead of this, you can also see the expression of others just as a message and stay true to yourself. Okay, so if someone's doing really wonderful things or someone has something really wonderful, you can see that as the possibility of humanity and see that in yourself. Yeah, I love that. And another way of saying it is as opposed to playing the comparison game, like why don't I have that or why am I not doing that and make yourself feel bad about it, you can just look at someone else as an example and say, I want to do my version of that, but not make it about comparing yourself directly to them. Yes. I heard something really inspiring that the only way you notice something that you don't like about somebody is because you can see it because you don't like it in yourself. Yeah. And so you should thank them for showing you what you want to change about yourself and how you need to work on yourself. Instead of getting annoyed by people who are irritating you for whatever reason, you need to thank them for showing you a piece of yourself that you need to work on. And so instead of seeing somebody's something that they have or do well, instead of seeing that as a comparison game or playing the comparison game, taking it inward and saying, how can I do that? Or what can I be that is that? If you're ever present to that, do you find that to be true of you? Yes. You know, I heard about the mirror principle. It's kind of like, that's when I was in high school, everybody was like, always talking about the mirror principle. What was happening in New Mexico? (laughs) You guys were like a hotbed of arts and intellectual activity. The conversations you were having. We always have been. New Mexico, Santa Fe, Taos. Someone I know recorded a record there. I know. I believe it. But just when I hear you talk about your personal experience, I'm like, damn, I was missing out. Well, in high school, we were always talking about the mirror principle and everybody was talking about what you see in others that you don't like is what you see in yourself. And that's basically what I just said. Yeah. And kind of like, you've got to always fix yourself rather than, it's basically what we just said, right? This is why I avoid reflective surfaces. <laughs> Who needs it? So when she says the deluge had to do with judgment, so the flood was just about us judging ourselves that some kind of energy is taking power over you when you start blaming yourself and you condemn yourself. So you're creating this cosmic energy. You're creating this cosmic negativity. And so the flood is this. Is that what's happening? Is that what she's saying? Is that how you take that? Yeah, I do. Oh, good. (laughs) Check. (laughs) Mother, the car is here. Now this is where it gets a little confusing for me. Mother, the car is here means arriving on a place like earth where that energy is very dark and attractive and sensual. 
Mother, the car is here. So I see, because if you think about it in the other way, in the mother-daughter relationship way, like you just said, it's about a daughter leaving to LA where things are very sensual and things can get very dark. Yeah. So mother, the car is here to take you to the pleasures of the flesh, whether they're human form from the metaphysical to the human form or whether they're from Washington to LA. Yeah. I think if Tori has ever offered us a kind of concise packaged version of what her personal belief system is in a song, like this is it. I don't think she's ever quite gotten that clear before. I'm starting to see it now. I'm sorry that I'm having to reread this quote because it's so thick. No, you're right. This it's very quote dense. Is thick. Yeah. And I love when she launches into this mode and she's just throwing things out like they're commonly accepted yeah. or th- they're things everyone knows. She's like, you know, it's like when the soul travels to a place. I mean, whatever, you know. What, whatever. It's pre-human form to... Here's a little song I wrote. Then she says, that's also a part of us. So these, okay, Mother the Cars here means arriving on a place like Earth where that energy is very dark and attractive and sensual. And that's also a part of us. Okay, so the dark, the sensual, the attractive is also within us. Yeah, and I would say, I would venture to say that Tori's, like the foundation of Tori's belief system is built on something like we're all spiritual beings having a human experience. Like I'm sure Tori believes that and that she puts sort of more weight on the spiritual side of a person than the human side of a person. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of her exploring like a journey of the soul to earth. And we know Tori believes that we all live multiple lifetimes and that she's lived before. I happen to believe that she really does live her life by that principle. And that's not like a cute new agey thing she just throws out there. So there's this idea that we all kind of exist in the metaphysical ether and we maybe make the decision to come to earth. And then we kind of forget about that part of us. And we're all wrapped up in our humanness and our story And we get separated from all of that. And I think that's a lot of what she's talking about in this song. So Mother, the car is here. If you look at this as kind of like a narrative of a girl leaving home, Mm -hmm. the girl's being taken to her sensual side or her human side away from her spiritual mother, for Mm -hmm. example, and having to figure out a way to, if you didn't want to get metaphysical with this like this, when she says, because she says here in this quote, you have to unify those two things. That's what I tried to do in Mother. So she's unifying her human experience or her LA experience with her Christian upbringing and her mother and her spiritual side, right? All of it. Okay. So now I'm starting to see what she means when she's saying she's trying to work on this cosmic plane. Yeah. Okay. But mother, the car is here is really like, ding, ding, ding. Excuse me. Your life is waiting. Oh. Ephraim Jr. Paging Ephraim Jr. Your parents are ready. I'm starting to get it now. This was easier than I thought. We're only on like the fourth quote. Silly me to think this was a song about a girl leaving home. (laughs) Do you want to read this other quote from Keyboard Review, February 1992? All right. It's really about storytelling. Because I've read a lot of things, I can form the words and get an energy from the story. I love being swept up. It's almost like I'm not touching the ground. I'm involved in something like a dream where you don't know where it's going to go. Every pause, everything you do is part of that. You can tap into a source. That's what it's really about. And you just become a channel. And because of your perspectives and your vocabulary, musically and vocally, you put it down. But it's an energy that's really coming through. And you think, is this energy going to stop coming through? You always wonder. I've been writing a long time. Some of it isn't worth listening to, and some of it just comes together. And I think it will always be like that. What do you think about this in relation to Mother? Again, she goes back to comparing some of her songwriting experiences to like a dream. Maybe she really is kind of on the edges of sleep sometimes, and she starts to hear a little melody and she makes her way to the piano. That's kind of what it sounded like with Mother. And again and again, she goes back to this idea of channeling and tapping into something. And she's always been very upfront about not taking credit for her songwriting, but being a co-creator or again, tapping into something, even when it comes down to putting her set list together. That's kind of where she goes. So I love that. 
No, it's like that intake outtake period where you're, what she says, I've read a lot of things. So I've got a lot of things in my head that it can come out as I can translate it in a bunch of different ways, but it still comes through me. I'm no Tori Amos, don't get me wrong, but I'm always my most inspired first thing in the morning. It's really? Like when, yeah. When I wake up first thing in the morning, I can get so much done. If I'm going to go to the gym, it's going to be first thing in the morning because I'm the clearest of mind and I have the least amount of inhibitions and the least amount of obstacles, emotional obstacles in my way first thing in the morning. I'm free. I feel unblocked. So I get that. It's like that dreamlike sleep going to the piano and just, it's like, you know, writing in a dream journal or like when you're the closest to your subconscious. It does not work that way for me, but it totally makes sense as to why it does. Sleep is kind of like a reboot. You wipe the slate clean, your brain has been turned off and you're yeah. kind of starting fresh. So. Yeah. What, it doesn't work that way for you? No. Why not? I take a long time to boot up. Really? Get warmed up. Are you dial yeah. up? Basically, yeah. In the morning, yeah. <laughs> Your 28K modem? I'm a Commodore 64 in the morning. I don't have dial up. I'm just like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oregon Trail, lemonade stand. That's all I'm capable of. This is from Time Out London, January 1992. I know contrived. I've done it, she says with emphasis. And I was dead. I had dead eyes. I let go of the things I believed in as a really young kid and took on what they told me to believe in. And I don't just mean my parents. I had all my beliefs and feelings, all the things that were to do with me, crushed out of me. She says this is her only reason for making her album. Quote, to reclaim part of myself again. You know, we know her story. We know where she came from, where she ended up prior to this album, and how she looked at it as a very necessary step towards finding herself. And this is her doing that. Yeah, and I really believe the way Tori describes herself at any point, but particularly as a child, given the gift that she had, she probably felt like these songs were speaking to her. And other people with that same gift, other composers like a Mozart or whoever, probably felt the same way. Maybe they wouldn't have put it in those terms, but I'm sure they were hearing things, so to speak. And maybe just having that experience, regardless of any other outside influences, leads you to believe in the level beyond what other people are experiencing, that there's something beyond the physical, something beyond the human and you pair that with the input from her grandfather who was probably having similar conversations then you can imagine this very kind of sophisticated yet very different belief system in this young child and then she has this other huge christian influence from her family and her community doing everything they can and her grandma i guess mm -hmm. doing everything they can to beat it out of her one way or another so i'm sure from a very early age she felt incredibly conflicted in all of that and to then get herself to LA where she's alone as an adult at the age of 23, trying to make it in this really terrible predatory business where people will chew you up and spit you out. They just want to make money from you or they want you to be to fill this box or to fill, you know, a checklist. And you are already confused about who you are. It's not going to get easier. You're confused about who you are and you're also trying to figure out what other people want you to be at the same time. So because you want to be successful because you are talented and you want to make a, you need to make a living. Yeah. It still makes me sad to hear her say I had dead eyes. I was just kind of being ping-ponged around. That's a version of Tori I cannot picture. I know. The passionate woman that we know with all these ideas, this incredible creativity coursing through her. I can't imagine a phase of her life where that was all dialed all the way down. Like her pilot light was almost extinguished. You're right. Yeah. That is pretty heartbreaking. Where she can't say what's on her mind, where she feels like she has to walk into a party and she's seething with rage but can't speak. Like... Oh, well, I feel like that at every party. Well, but, yeah. but I'm not a songwriter. From the Chicago Sun-Times, April 26, 1992, she says, there is no shame and self-acceptance and I think a lot of people have difficult time accepting that. I did too until I realized what I did best was something I had tried to forget, singing and playing the piano. 
you have to accept the side of yourself that is seething at the party, and that's a valid part of yourself as much as the talented side that grew up playing the piano and singing. When you can marry all the pieces together and you marry those Marys, girl, you're gonna you'll you'll get a clearer vision of yourself. At first glance, that's kind of a strange paradox to me to say there's no shame in self-acceptance. Like, aren't those two things? Isn't the idea of self-acceptance to get over shame? But she means the bad sides. Yeah. She, you have to also accept the bad sides. And yeah. you can't be ashamed of the bad sides. You have to accept the bad sides. I agree. And I think culturally, anyway, we're programmed to kind of hate ourselves <laughs> or to constantly find flaws with ourselves or to be self-deprecating. And maybe that's what she's saying, too. Like, it's okay to like yourself, all of yourself, the good, the bad. You don't have to be making excuses or feel like you're constantly trying to fix or change something. That's saying, like, you know what? Maybe there's always room for improvement and this is a journey, but generally speaking, I'm okay that you don't have to feel bad about that. I don't know. You're right. This is such a weird culture that we are encouraged to dislike ourselves. Anytime you open a magazine, anytime you turn on a television, anytime you're watching a YouTube video and an ad pops up, it's something to change about yourself. Mm -hmm. It's hard to accept when people love themselves and it's hard to let people love themselves and be fine with exactly who they are. That quote's probably as much about that than it is about accepting the dark, too. Right. It's just accept the light is hard, as just as hard. That's why I do one at a time. <laughs> I'll accept the dark today. Yeah. <laughs> so why don't you read this quote from the Illinois Entertainer from March 1992? I see innocence very differently than being a virgin. I think David Lynch's innocence. That's one element that he has. Innocence is not about unknowing. Innocence is about clarity. It's about imagination and trusting. Trusting your inner voice. That's innocence. That may be the most profound thing she's ever said. It's actually really resonating with me Put a check mark next to that. You did? (laughs) No, we should. Oh, I should. Yeah. I've never pictured it that way. Innocence is about clarity. Yeah, because when you are a child, when you are innocent, quote unquote, you see things for what they are. Mm. There's no mask. There's no subtext. You see things clearly. And David Lynch is an interesting name to offer as kind of a creative mentor. Mm -hmm. And I see that, right? Because I would say he's definitely uncompromising and he's never done anything to please anyone, most likely, and that he makes movies for himself exactly as he feels they need to be made. And Mm -hmm. if you get something out of it, that's great, but I'm not doing it to please you or to conform to any kind of expectation, right? Right. So I'd imagine Tori was at a point where she was like, oh, right, (laughs) that's what I should be doing too. Following her vision, Mm -hmm. following her path. Right. Being uncompromising. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. I love that turn on innocence to trust is innocent. And then we can go later that the sexiest thing is trust, right? So if trusting your inner voice, that's innocence. The sexiest thing is trust, to be able to trust someone else, to be able to kind of return to a childlike state with someone and to be free Mm. of inhibitions and fear with someone. I understand why that's the sexiest thing. Yeah, you're right. The The use of the word innocence is interesting because it sort of frees you up from a lot of constant questioning and you're innocent in that you haven't been kind of defiled or tainted by other people's expectations or mm-hmm. trying to be something, mm-hmm. but you're fully yourself and kind of tuning into your own guidance or your own vision, as you said. So, Dang, she's deep. Mm, mother. Mom. 
This is from The Village View, May 8th, 1992. Sometimes you just have to put yourself in a new situation, even if you just take a few weeks to get yourself present again. So you know what's happening to you that day. That days just don't go by and you turn around and say, I don't know where they went. And you wake up and you're 30. I just wanted to be more a part of my own life and not listen to other people's opinions because I would hate to wake up and be 30. Can you imagine? Nah, I could uh, never. It's too far away to even imagine, You can't even fathom it. It's unfathomable. No, it seems like a future we'll never reach. That's scary. <laughs> In? Me? 30? <laughs> no, but I get it. She was 23 when she was, or she was what? No, she was 32 and saying this, right? No. 92? Oh, no, <laughs> she, she was, was 29. 29, yeah. <laughs> but still, I oh, get what she's saying. The folly of youth. The important thing about this quote is that you want to be able to be present in the moment so that you don't look back and say, like, where did the time go? Where did my life go? All right. I need to put another check mark next to this one because I am having that experience times 10. Why? Because <laughs> the time is, you know, the older you get, time seems to pass more rapidly. That's true. And you turn around, and you're like, how did I get here? How am I this age? What's happening? What's mm-hmm. not happening? Mm-hmm. What am I doing? Why didn't I do that? I'm not having an existential crisis on the air, Eve. I'm fine. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> and we're back, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. But these are <laughs> okay. So this first line. Sometimes you just have to put yourself in a new situation. I think those are words to live by in general, but particularly as an artist or a creative person, I think that's really important. Like you have to break your routine. You have to look, you know, different places for inspiration. And Tori has talked a lot about that. If things aren't working, she gets out there. She takes a trip. She talks to people. Anything you can do to sort of diversify your experience and keep the creativity pumping. I think. But if you're kind of in a rut, whether in life or in art, it's probably probably not going to get you very far. I think it's important to constantly be replenishing your intake. We had said earlier about the intake outtake period, especially if you find yourself unable to produce or unable to really see who you are, just take things in. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I've been in a prolonged period of taking things in. Really? Yes. I'm about to enter a prolonged period of taking things in. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm a few steps ahead. I'll keep you updated. Thank you. Let me know how it goes. Yeah. Let's read this quote from the Network 40, July 1992. Okay. Little Earthquake speaks of many childhood experiences, mostly nervous and frustrating, but she tells of them with so much longing, you get the idea that she'd like to do it all over again. No way, she corrects, be it fear of the past or the newfound adult freedom she's enjoying. She'll stay grown up. I wouldn't go back, but I do hang out with my child now. It doesn't go away just because we grow up. The little girl is the one who plays the piano. (laughs) What? I'm sorry, I have to stop you. Because if you didn't know Tori, because this is 1992 and nobody really knows her yet, right? Imagine thinking she has a child. Yeah, I hang out with my child now. They don't go away just because you grow up. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Try as you might. Right. They always seem to find you. Right. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I wouldn't go back, but I do hang out with my child now. It doesn't go away just because we grow up. The little girl is the one who plays the piano. She gets help, but she's the one who learned how to do it and taught all of us. We don't know how to parent ourselves, so we're always looking for someone to parent us. Maybe a lover, maybe a mentor, maybe a boss, just somebody in some weird way. And we all have different ideas of what parenting means. Some think it means reprimanding, some think it means approval, and some think it means just to balance and draw boundaries. I try to parent myself, but that doesn't mean I don't look outside sometimes. At least I'm not the serious addict I was. A lot of people are love addicts. I want to talk about, I want to get real for a second. Can we pause and get real for a second? I'm a gay man, as are you, and this is a show hosted by two gay men. 
And we have a gay worldview, at least I do. This quote really resonates with me <laughs> from my homosexual, which is, we don't know how to parent ourselves, so we're always looking for someone to parent us, maybe a lover, maybe a mentor, maybe a boss. And the absolute nearly 100% frequency with which all gay men want to call you daddy or have you call them daddy, like the whole daddy thing. If she's saying we all want to be parented, fine. But I feel like gay men even more so, or people who have had, who felt like an outsider their whole lives even more so, right? So that's actually really resonating with me here on why that happens am i making sense should i cut that out no keep going that was it okay (laughs) well that's not an experience that i relate to personally i've never encountered someone wanting to call me daddy or vice versa although a good friend of ours did say to me recently and out of love that i need to like embrace embrace my newfound role as a daddy or like i'm coming into my daddyhood essentially and i was like "Mm, no that was distasteful to you no i don't know (laughs) that's face that voice oh no well take it from someone who knows i have called many men daddy Mm -hmm. and i also is that sexy though there's a comfort i guess to it a comfort that's in there and we all need to be parented david we don't know how to parent ourselves david so we're always looking for someone to parent us maybe a lover maybe a mentor maybe a boss just well, somebody in a in some weird way, David. Well said. Thank you. Well, you know, there were certainly points in my life where I felt like my parents were not able to parent me in the way that I needed because they couldn't relate to my experience. How much of that is your parents couldn't parent you in the way that you needed or everyone's parents can't parent them in the way they need? Well, I don't know, but I'm talking about my personal experience and I've certainly come a long way with that. But I say that because I had a lot to work through, but at no point do I ever feel like I was looking outward specifically to a relationship for someone to play that role. I was still trying to push my own parents into that role. And we got there eventually. So that's just not something that I, again, relate to personally, but I totally understand it. At this point, I'm learning how to parent myself. Really? Yeah. What does that mean to parent oneself? To nurture yourself? To take care of yourself? To love yourself? To be enough for yourself? To be able to rely on yourself, right? I love when you put words in my mouth, especially when they're that good. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's absolutely what it means. And again, I don't know. I'm at sort of another transitional phase in my life. And I think part of that is still like leaning into my adulthood, which I don't personally feel like I've been doing the best job of, or if I have in the past, I've taken a few steps back. That's how it feels. And whether or not that's true, part of that is not being too hard on myself. But I'm also at a point, and this is going to sound morbid, but because of a couple of experiences and conversations that I've had, I'm at a point where I'm more keenly aware of the fact that my parents aren't always going to be here. And I happen to be very close to them. And I depend a lot on them still for emotional support and all kinds of things. And in the past, that's always been something that seems like so far away, like uh, my parents are always going to be here. Not that I really thought that, but there's a point in your life where it feels that way. And now I'm really starting to feel like I know that's not the case. And that's something that I'm really looking at. And that's pretty difficult for me. But I'm getting to a place of really having to think about, okay, what's that going to be like when my parents aren't here? And where am I going to look to where maybe that's where I'll be looking for parents at that point. I've always been a late bloomer. Where am I going to look for that support? Am I going to be able to give it to myself? I don't know, just making sure all that's in place. And that's a lot. There's a lot of daddies at the fault line. Okay. (laughs) You can always go there. Any port in a storm. I think for me and my parents, with the relationship has turned away from a needs-based relationship. I don't need them to shelter me. I don't need them to support me financially. I don't need... It's just an emotional support. The times that I speak with my parents, it's just for emotional support, that emotional relationship. It's less about any kind of need or guidance, really. I've never really looked to my parents for guidance. My parents were kids when they had me. Mm-hmm. Now that they're 40... <laughs> 
uh, now that you're in your terrible tweens. Yeah, exactly. This is from Details, March 1994. She's psychic. She has visions about things. My mother's a witch. And yet at the same time, she's a very proper minister's wife and very much the Southern lady. My mother has incredible fortitude. The worst word in her vocabulary is rats. Mm. Can you imagine? Yeah, I can. I've heard both my mother and my grandmother use rats as an expletive. Really? Oh, rats. Oh, rats. My grandma used to say fiddlesticks. Fiddlesticks. Oh, that's cute, <laughs> at least. Let's read this from Upside Down Fanzine, issue 5, 1994. There is an incredible power that a mother has when she's got her little baby boy reaching out his arms and crying completely dependent on her response. She's giving him love and support, shaping his mind on how to treat women. Now, that could be changed later, true, but if you have a good mother, a mother that is really clear with herself, there is absolutely no question in my mind this isn't going to affect the baby boy forever, which is going to affect how he treats other women. Don't kid yourself into thinking that's not power. That's serious power and always will be. A mother has a lot of power. It's really interesting how we rarely hold up mothers for the good, but always take them to task for the bad. Yeah. Last ones to get the credit and the first ones to get the blame. Well said, David. I think another way of saying that is our parents model behavior for us. And that's how we learn what a relationship looks like. That's how we learn how to treat other people. So depending on what the dynamic is between, let's say you have, you know, a mother and father in your household, there's that dynamic. There's how a mother responds to the way she's being treated and vice versa and how parents relate to their child. And that's kind of a complex stew of how we eventually walk out into the world and how we treat other people just because that's our first experience and that's what's been modeled for us. And if we aren't open to other examples, we kind of end up repeating those patterns for better or worse, unless we're really, really aware of it or there's some sort of damage there that we're trying to undo. Actively undo. Yeah. You have to recognize it and want to undo it. For sure. This long quote we're about to read is Tori speaking about her own mother from the Sunday Times magazine on May 24th, 1998. And we'll share this one, David, because it's pretty long. My mother's family and my father's are worlds apart. She is part Cherokee, and there's a very spiritual aspect to her. She is a very loyal Christian woman, but she has a spirituality that goes beyond that. She has premonitions and dreams, but she keeps her esoteric side to herself. She made me very familiar with the Cherokee blood in us. I remember she used to read me stories. I had a brother and a sister, but they were seven and ten years older, so my mother and I formed a special bond. She says I played music before I could talk, and I would play the piano for her. When I was 13, I started playing in clubs and bars. My parents had to chaperone me. My father's congregation freaked out. My mother understood the journey I was on, but there were huge screaming matches between me and my father over religious differences, which pained her a lot. When I was 21, I went to Los Angeles. Unfortunately, I didn't realize how my leaving home affected my mother. After I moved to LA, I was raped. I wrote the song Me and a Gun about that, but I haven't talked to my mother or anyone about it. She's aware of what happened, but I've never discussed the details. I don't think she could bear it. I have a shrink, and I deal with it through that. When the first album came out and failed, she was hurt, but only for me. She wasn't interested in success in that commercial way. She asks what your intention was and whether you have achieved what you set out to do. The 1980s were not my mother's favorite fashion decade. She's very Jackie Kennedy in a pillbox hat and a suit, whereas I was shopping at retail slut. I supposed I'd look like something out of a freak show. 
But these days, she's very comfortable in the rock and roll world. When I'm on tour, she'll come to the show, and she loves it. She adores young people. I can turn to her when I'm troubled. We have good talks, and she's very stabilizing. You can't buy my mother, and she's never been seduced by the fame side of it. She doesn't want to go to the Grammy Awards, although she'll go if I invite her. Since I've been living in Britain, she's been coming to stay, and it's very comforting to have her around. She's a very Christian, southern lady, and she knows just how to behave. This is Mary speaking about Tori. I felt it was important that Tori knew about her Cherokee heritage. We would sit on the porch on summer evenings, and my father would speak of the culture and tell stories about his full-blood Cherokee grandmother. We come from a line of strong women, and she too has been blessed with that strength. I don't think Tori had a strict upbringing, but she probably thought so. My husband was a wonderful preacher, and we would discuss what he was preaching with the children. Tori questioned it all from the start, and we didn't really know how to answer her. She felt women were cheated in the church. I think she's wrong, but I accept that God speaks to us all differently. Tori had an inquiring mind and was very outspoken, which got her into trouble. She spent a lot of time at school standing in the corner. Most of the time, the congregation loved her, although she did some outlandish things. She was a wonderful choir director, but she used to come into church in red leather pants. She loved to shock, and she still does. The young people in the choir would do anything for her, but some of the mothers didn't think too much of her. They made sarcastic remarks, which she hid from me. She'd come home and be wiping away the tears, and I didn't understand how cruel people were being. By the time she was a teenager, the drugs were coming into the schools. Her friends were getting into them, and she was losing interest in the piano. Her father asked whether, if he got her a job playing the piano, she'd continue practicing. She said yes, and just before she was 13, she auditioned at a bar called Mr. Smith's. She got the job and played there every Friday night for a year. Because she was underage, she had to be chaperoned. I'd never been in a bar, but we took it in turns. We got letters accusing us of being bad parents. There was a vote in the church about whether they could support the minister and his wife. We said we had to back our daughter or lose her, and they voted to support us. When Tori left home, it was the worst thing that happened in my life. We shared so much. She was always the child woman. At times, it was as if she was the teacher and we were the children. She had this drive within her, and on her 21st birthday, she said she had to go. We put her on a plane to LA. She didn't know anybody there. Then she changed her name. She was the fifth generation of Ellens in the family, but she'd always hated her name. She's had devastating experiences. When she called me on the phone that morning after she was raped, I got on the next plane. I still can't speak of it, but I know the fact that she has been able to help other people through rain has been therapeutic. We came over to England to see her get married in February, and I love to see her play. She gives everything on stage. When she comes off, she's totally limp. We're usually the only white-haired people at her concerts, but we've met some of the real rockers and they've been so nice to us. I find young people very stimulating because they aren't yet cast in society's mold. I can't be grateful enough to her for letting me share that world. I don't know the context behind that article, but what a beautiful article Mm. to get them to speak of the same instances in their lives. It must have been a Mother's Day special or something. must have been. Rock stars and their mothers. Tell all. (laughs) Yeah, that was great. And you read the mother so beautifully. I love Tori's mom. She really seems to be the way Tori has always described her. She's both a minister's wife and a witch. Right. Just like me. and sweet. Yeah. Charming and southern lady. but But she's so open for, you know, she has this black sheep of a child with a belief system and a skill set completely different from hers or anything she's had to deal with before. And she's like, all right, how are we going to handle this? And she did it with grace and love. The telling bit about what you read for me was when Tori's mom said, she felt women were cheated in the church. I think she's wrong, but I accept that God speaks to us all differently. Mm-hmm. That's really telling. Yeah, it is. About how, what kind of woman she is. When you picture Mary Ellen, where do you picture her? How do you picture her? 
the Scarlet's Walk DVD. Yes. Yeah. Of course. Backstage, little smiles, and it has laughing. To, maybe that's just because that's the most we've ever seen of her. Yeah. But they always, even in still photos, they seem so proud. Mm-hmm. Or in little interview segments, whether it be on Behind the Music mm-hmm. or whatever it is, you can just tell they're literally beaming yes. with pride. Yes. So this is from Rollingstone.com on December 18th, 2009, David. We're going to fast forward into our past. <laughs> I knew that winter needed to be written, which represented not just the father, but the grandfather, Papa, my mother's father. So the positive male energies in my life and also moments with men with their disappointment in themselves and how that plays out. I wanted, I needed the polar opposite. So I felt like this needed to go beyond the human mother. This needed to go back to ideas of creatrix and that God is not just male, but of the creator being female and male. So this is the feminine story coming down to earth, leaving this soul space and saying goodbye to mother creator as I go to mother earth and the last thing is somebody leaves the light on you know what when we were putting these quotes in order in our show document put together by the lovely shay stymac Mm. i put that one last obviously because it was far in the future december 2009 but i just saw creatrix and i was like okay i'm not gonna get this one this is gonna be way over my head but after this discussion i actually completely accept all of that that's pie Mm. david that is apple pie that's what you get with a good syllabus Mm -hmm. you build on your knowledge (laughs) and you're ready by the end you got it that was easy yeah This is a very 2009 quote, though. I don't feel like 1992 Tori would have used that terminology. Mm -hmm. And I'm not so sure. She makes it sound very calculated. Like it was my intention all along to balance the masculine and feminine. And I had winter. Like maybe that's true. But again, I think that's Tori 09 with some mileage on her looking back going, yeah, yeah, that's what I did. Maybe it was her plan all along. Perhaps. Gargamel side eye. (laughs) But I (laughs) love... I love that last line. And the last thing is somebody leaves the light on. I think that will be our guiding principle through the line by line, perhaps. Mm -hmm. But I think that kind of sums up the whole idea of the song, remembering who you really are and where you really come from. And that at some point, at least as far as Tori is concerned, we're all going to go back to that place. And the light's always on for you. Well said, David. Should we do the line by line? Okay. Are you ready? You warm, I'm ready. You warmed up? I'm warmed up. All right. Imagine an hour of warm up. I'm ready for the line by line. <laughs> All right. So on a purely superficial level, we begin the song with someone ready to leave home. Out of the nest, meaning leaving home, leaving the nest, stepping into adulthood, And we can imagine that it's Tori heading to L.A., Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, for sure. And on another level, kind of going back to some of the quotes we read, if you want to think of this as a journey of the soul from wherever souls exist prior to coming to Earth to becoming human, I would say, and having whatever that experience is going to be. Go, go, go now, silky scale without a safety net. We read that quote earlier from her mother about her coming to L.A. And putting Tori on a plane was the hardest day of her mother's life, Mm -hmm. having to do that. Again, on a superficial level, circus girl without a safety net has always, to me, meant Tori being as gifted as she was. It's kind of like a circus freak show, a party trick circus girl Mm. without a safety net headed to a place where she's not going to have anything to fall back on. Yeah. There's also an element of, let's say, risk taking here. Mm -hmm. Or maybe you don't know any better. You're kind of flying by the seat of your pants. And especially when you're young, you think you're invincible, but you're also just learning how to exist, how to be you on the planet. So I think that's a little bit of what's happening here. And there's that perspective of the parent like maybe the person on the tightrope doesn't necessarily see it as risky or doesn't even know that they don't have a safety net, but 
the parent is kind of like, oh, oh, you can kind of see the parent walking behind you, right, like right. wobbling back and forth, like, don't fall, don't fall. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, I love that you introduced the parent perspective here because this next line. Here, here now, don't cry. You raised your hand for the assignment. Seems like it's a parent speaking to the child, brushing away the tears, telling them it's going to be okay. You wanted this, remember? Don't lose sight of your goals. How Tori said her mother was upset about the failure of the album, but never for her. It wasn't about her. It's what did you want to do? Mm. And are you being true to who you want to be? And you know, some people think um, and believe, and I wouldn't be surprised if Tori was one of these people, that we kind of choose to come into this human experience and maybe even sort of set certain parameters ahead of time, like maybe like what family you're going to be born into or certain things you're going to experience so that you can grow as a soul or as a non-physical being, whatever that is. But I kind of feel like that's what's happening here, like acknowledging whatever challenges you're going to face throughout your life. But on some level, you've volunteered for this and you sort of wanted this to happen, even though you kind of forget all that. You get like human amnesia, yeah. maybe, but like, don't forget you wanted to have all this, the good and the bad, because it would ultimately serve you somehow. I love that. Tuck those ribbons under your helmet, be a good soldier. Now we can think of this in two ways. Obviously, me thinking about it in just a superficial sort of human context, and I love that you're taking that metaphysical route with it because it's giving both perspectives of the song. But in terms of Tori's life, tuck those ribbons under your helmet, be a good soldier. Her really trying to work hard in the industry and tucking away who she is to be who you need her to be, which is a sort of a theme that ran through her life when she was early in the music industry trying to make it. So I see a lot of that there. I also see it as maybe a way of comforting a child, like it's gonna be okay, go back out there, keep fighting, keep working, it'll happen, be a good soldier. Yeah, or maybe even you want success, right? And this is what it takes, you gotta go to battle. So if this is really what you want, Tuck those ribbons in and get ready because it's going to be uphill. Gird your loins. Gird your loins. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. That was the original lyric, but she cut it. She changed it. Gird those loins under your helmet. Be a good... Yeah, that was the original line. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But similarly, again, if you want to say that you volunteered for this human experience on some level, it's like, yeah, it's going to be hard, but this is what it is. So no complaining. Right. Just put your helmet on and get in there. There's something about being a good soldier that sort of erases your identity. Be a good soldier, one amongst many. There's no personality. There's no individuality. There's no Tory in that. If fall in line. Yeah, it's a fall in line kind of situation. Mm. First my left foot, then my right behind the other. I love that because it manages to capture both walking on a tightrope. Like you can picture her with her arms out balancing mm-hmm. like one foot after the other, but also a soldier marching. Yeah. So I like that too, because it's taking the advice. If the parent is speaking or someone else is speaking to her before, tuck those ribbons under your helmet, be a good soldier. Then we have the perspective change where she's saying first my left foot, then my right foot. So it's like you're getting both sides of the conversation. Mm. You know, she's listening to the advice of whoever's giving her that advice. And now she is walking. Yeah. And there's a vulnerability here, too. Like, I just got to get through this one step at a time. You can picture like baby Bambi learning how to walk, right? <laughs> we all have that image of Bambi learning how to walk. Like the legs, the knees wobbling. Mm-hmm. Couldn't like, He couldn't really get it together. Mm-hmm. Right? Pantyhose running in the 
to me, what strikes me about that image, first of all, I think the song has so many beautiful images embedded in the lyrics. Just, I think already even the idea of the soldier tucking your ribbons under your helmet and being a good soldier that is so visually appealing. You can see that. But this pantyhose running in the cold, to me, is connected to marching one foot after the other, left, right, left, right, left, right. You're not paying attention to what's underneath your real self. Your pantyhose is running. You're tearing. You're, it's being ruined. That's what I see. Hmm. What do you think? You're right. I love all the imagery in this song. It's so evocative. And to me, there's something like really vulnerable and just kind of sad about pantyhose running in the cold. Mm -hmm. It's like the end of a rough night. Maybe your car broke down. Mm -hmm. It's raining. You finally make it home and you're like, there's a run in my pantyhose. It's like on par with like a splitting the seam in your pants. Mm -hmm. You're just like embarrassed and you feel like a big mess and you're like, ugh. Well, I also see that too is like the person that is marching left, right, left, right isn't taking care. They're, They're just... They have their eye on the prize. They're marching. They're being a good soldier. They're not paying attention to the mm-hmm. fact. Like, I don't even think that there's an awareness of the pantyhose running until this very moment. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and even if there was, what can they do about it? There is something really sad about that. Yeah. Like, this woman has had a night. You, just, you, need, you need some help? Can I help you? Can I call <laughs> Lady? someone? Yeah. Lady. Mother, the car is here. Somebody leave the light on. I mean, after we broke down that quote earlier in the episode, I'm really understanding the idea of leaving one, not just coming of age and leaving your home, your childhood home, but really leaving the world that you know, leaving the life that you know, and catapulting towards and into something else completely different. And also Mother the Car is Here, while it has this anticipation about it, also has this a little bit of trepidation to it. It's like when you're not wanting to leave something when you're going to the airport, you know, and you just don't want to go, but then the Uber pulls up and you're like, well, it's time. It's like a bittersweet goodbye. Yeah. You know, I'm very, very lucky. Um, I still have both my parents. So I'm not going to begin to say that I understand what that experience of losing a parent is like, because I don't. I've certainly lost people who are close to me. Um, An aunt who I was very close to died relatively young. And at one point, my cousin was talking about her because, you know, her mother. And she was saying, like, I just want to talk to my mom. And if you're lucky to have a good relationship with your parents, there's that sense of unconditional love that you're just never going to get from anyone else, whether it be a friend or a partner. It's just not the same. And she was like, I just want to talk to my mom because I knew that my mom loved me no matter what, like whatever she was going through. And that killed me. So I feel like that's what's happening here a little bit you leave home but if you're lucky your parents your mom always has the light on for you can you can always go back if you need to i mean that's kind of one read and we also said this when we read that quote before the line by line there's this idea that you're a human being you know coming from spirit to physical but you're always going to go back at some point and that light is being left on for you so i think if you do have a good relationship with your mother it's very comforting to know that the light is on that you can do anything in this life, knowing that you can always go back because the light is on for you. And I know not everyone is lucky enough to have that experience or that relationship, but, you know, looking at this through Tori's eyes, the way she's spoken about her mom and vice versa, I'd be willing to say that that was true for her. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't think Tori could have ever failed too much. Like, there's nothing that she couldn't have come home after, probably. Yeah. Green limousine for the redhead dancing. Dancing girl. What does that mean to you? This earthly body 
Yeah, but also kind of a seduction, mm -hmm. whether that be the seduction of the human experience or the seduction of fame mm -hmm. and the music industry. Mm -hmm. There's this kind of being whisked away. I'm willing to bet at some point she was driven around in a green limousine. Probably. <laughs> and that kind of stuck with her. And I love that dancing, dancing girl comes right after that. Because as you said, if there is a seduction towards the music industry or the fame or the, the sinful pleasures, as it was said in that quote, the darkly sensual pleasures. Mm -hmm. And if that is represented by the green limousine for the redhead, even the redhead, because she's not really a real redhead, right? So that's also a seduction. So green limousine for the redhead. The redhead also kind of puts it further away from her. It's like at arm's length. It's not myself. Whereas it's first my left foot, then my right behind the other. She's not saying green limousine for me. She's saying green limousine for the redhead. So it's almost kind of like a whole other person in a way. Mm-hmm. But if the green limousine is representing that seduction, then the dancing girl following that still implies that she's working hard. A dancing girl on a pole, dancing girl, you know, kind of like a circus act as well. Dancing, dancing girl, never able to stop, just kind of always hustling, always trying to pull in something. And I'm not saying this is part of <laughs> part of the lyrics at all, part of what Tori's thought process was at all, but knowing her background um, as a minister's daughter and her growing up in the church and all of that, I also can't help but think of Footloose and, you know, how dancing was sinful oh, yeah. in Footloose, which was also part of how I was raised. So I kind of get that. But it's like, I'm going to go off. I'm leaving this all behind and I'm going to have my own experiences and develop my own belief system. And some of that is t totally at odds with what I've been taught up until this point so and when i dance for him somebody leave light on. here it becomes almost like a trained monkey it's either a trained monkey sort of swallowing her pride dancing for him which kind of reminds you a little bit of amber waves too mm -hmm. but also something maybe a prostitute would do so there's that little bit in there and when i dance for him but still even though no matter how dark it gets somebody leave the light on implies that her mother is still at home with the light on the porch mm -hmm. when, you know mm -hmm. always a safe place for her to go back to yeah and in terms of the hymn i picture either a record executive or a male partner but either way it's trying to win someone's approval or prove something to someone and one way or another it's a performance of sorts mm -hmm. like i can do this i can be this i can give you what you want i can become what you want I love that. if i'm not giving it to you already and I remember listening to the song when I was a teenager and thinking the hymn was a partner or someone that you really wanted to love you that didn't love you back. And now, of course, I look at it as a record executive as well. Like I can see that now there's like a lot more context. But I love the idea that no matter what you put yourself through, searching for love, that someone is already there with that love to give. Mm. Dancing or the dance has kind of been a way to refer to the human experience, right? Like the good and the bad, all of it, the dance of life, mm -hmm. I guess. And Tori has used that idea or that metaphor in several songs. We have like the dance of infinity in The Beekeeper. In Tallulah, she talks about wanting to learn how to dance with the people that come in and out of your life or the experiences that you're having. And that can also mean not being able to control everything, but only how you're going to react to things, like how you're mm -hmm. going to dance with it. Mm -hmm. So I think the idea is being fully present in your life and everything that's going on and how you're going to navigate that. It's interesting because the next line... Just in, just in case I like the dancing I can't remember where I go from. 
implies a little bit that the dancing is negative. Mm-hmm. Am I reading that right? Mm, that's how I've always interpreted it. Yeah. Yeah. Like I might actually like this dance. And in case I do, please be there to remind me who mm. I am and where I come from. Yeah. To me, it's not that there's necessarily something like innately corrupt about the dance, right. if you will, but it's this idea of getting too seduced by something that ultimately isn't real or ultimately isn't important and forgetting what is important or who you really are. Right. That you can get kind of sucked into this world or this story and or whatever you, it is. That's a distraction. Yeah. And how you said that, how it's not that the dance is innately corrupt reminds me of that quote where it's like you accept the dark sides of yourself as well. It's all part of it. When you're leaving the light on, it's about remembering all sides. Mm-hmm. In case I like the dancing, just be there to remind me about the other side. Or yeah. That the other side exists still. Yeah. I walked into your dream. We are entering into my favorite Tory lyrics of all time, perhaps. This whole verse? Yeah. Great. So explain it to the people. So I'm taking it from the literal sort of just what's on the page, kind of a superficial reading of a girl leaving home and and Tori, in fact, leaving home and trying to make it in the music industry. So I walked into your dream to me is her trying to mold herself again to be what you need her to be. When she was cutting those dance demo tracks, when she was doing Why Can't Tori Read, she's fitting herself into your dream, into your vision of what she should be, right? So I walked into your dream and thusly should be included in the lyrics. Mm. Thusly, I've forgotten how to dream my own dream. I'm not even a consideration in my thought process. Mm. What I want and need doesn't even occur to me. Mm -hmm. And I see that too, but I've always seen it from a slightly younger place. Mm -hmm. You know, Tori at that point where she's trying to please everyone and be what she thinks they want her to be Mm -hmm. and kind of surrendering her own beliefs and her own aspirations at the same time, even before making it to LA, let's say. Right. But even as just like a young prodigy, like, okay, what am I supposed to do? What do these people want from me? How am I not going to let them down? So I think that's a piece of it. And for me personally, kind of going back to our discussion about parenting, as a young gay, I sort of experienced this line as parents always, at least mine did, think they know what's best. And a lot of times they do, but a lot of times they don't. And they didn't identify with my experience at all. Um, and in terms of like my gayness, they didn't believe I was gay. They thought I was I still don't believe lost. It. <laughs> well, just because I'm doing it wrong or differently doesn't mean that it's fundamentally untrue. <laughs> God, you hang out with my mom. I Um, love (laughs) Gaylene. So that's, you know, again, in that young, angsty teen place, it was like I've like walked into this situation with my parents where they're expecting certain things of me and they're wanting me to live a life that looked like theirs because that's all they knew. And on one level, I kind of felt a little bit obligated to do that because I wanted to please them. But at the same time, I was like, I want my life to look completely different and there's no way you could possibly understand that. So how do I balance these two things? I want to say two things in response to what you said. The first being directly what you said. I also felt like my parents didn't. How could you possibly know what my vision for my life will be because you don't have the experiences and you don't have this thing inside of me that shapes completely how I see the world. So you couldn't possibly know what's best for me. Not in a bad way. They do want what's best for you. Yeah. And they're, they're operating, I think, from their own vision of the world. But I want to catapult back to what you said earlier about a child because I took this as Tori in, the, in her you know 20s trying to make it in LA. You took it much younger, which made it a lot more sad I think 
to be that age and to feel like you don't have an identity. But I want to catapult even further back. I want to take it to the metaphysical now. Because when you... We're in you, the womb. I know. Pre-womb. When you're choosing your life, right? When you're choosing your experience... Because I do believe, I agree with you that Tori subscribes to kind of that idea that you decide what your human experience will be based on a certain lesson you need to learn or, you know, thing that you need to gain. And when you choose your life and when you choose your experience, that could also be, I walked into your dream and now I've forgotten how to dream my own dream. You talk about the human amnesia, right? That when you walk into your life, you kind of forget that you were this metaphysical, spiritual being. Mm -hmm. And it's for you to learn again that there are two sides and then how to connect the two sides. But if she's walking into a dream and forgetting how to dream her own dream, as a child, it makes the song a lot more potent to me. Because then I can see clearly the experience of the spiritual side separating from the human side in that line. And if that's your belief, you can't forget also that everyone is having that experience. So everyone is having their version of that. And sometimes you can get caught up in someone else's story, mm -hmm. maybe, and forget why you're here, what your purpose is, or what you're wanting to experience. So there's kind of like a warning there to not let that happen. Yeah. It could also be said that on some level, the human experience or the physical experience is an illusion or a dream, and that we're more spiritual than physical. And you can get caught up in all of this, let's say, and forget about that piece. So you can look at it as a dream or... The human experience? Yeah. Does that mean I don't have to go to the gym? Yeah. Forget Oof, about it. Thank God. We can dream you into a fit new body for spring. Oh, thank you. <laughs> you are the clever one, aren't you? Who is the clever one? I'm not sure I have a more metaphysical read on these lines in particular. Again, this was always very much through the filter of what my experience was mm -hmm. and my relationship with my parents. And this is just continuing on from you think you know what's best for me and you're trying to push me into something, but you can only see it as far as what your experience has been or what your frame of reference has been. And this is kind of, again, that like bratty teenager almost, like you think you're so clever, continuing on with brides and veils. We want your life to look like what our life looked like because that obviously will make you happy. That's what everyone wants, right? You want to get married you want to whatever it is to take it back to what you said you are the clever one aren't you i think you're right i think it's whoever she's singing to whether it's her parents or whoever i've forgotten how to dream my own dream whoever that person in whose dream she's absorbed her own whoever that person is is the clever one that she's screaming at because it's all caps mm -hmm. tori was very prescient to know that caps meant screaming she was built for aol chat rooms <laughs> you are the clever one you aren't you're, so you? you're so clever i'm blocking you <laughs> Brides in veils for you. We told you all of our secrets, all but one. And don't you even try? So I've always looked at this as a. This is so silly, but I've looked at this as a group of brides telling secrets to each other, or women, or girls, young girls that are just brides in veils for you. Who are they telling their secrets to? And what is the secret that they're not telling? Well, I see your confused look, David, and I raise you one dumbfounded look. <laughs> okay, raise your veil. Let me see what I'm working with. But I want to take it back to this quote. I wanted mother to draw some of her imagery from Hansel and Gretel. Little girls can be very sexual, but there's an innocence, a vulnerability there, which can't be abused. And I don't think she means can't, shouldn't be, meaning which you shouldn't abuse, I think she means which is impossible to take away. Mm. So if you take that quote and then you look at brides and veils for you, we told you all of our secrets, all but one. I think the one that they're holding is that innocence there that is, is inside of all of us that can come back, mm. that you can maybe pollute, but you can't take it away. It's there somewhere. 
So don't you even try. I love that. I would agree with that. And also there's something really sexual in a weird way about brides and veils for you. We told you all of our secrets. So it's again, in the quote, she says, little girls can be very sexual. And she's always talked about wanting to marry Robert Plant. She was very sexual at a very young age, not in a dirty or perverted way, but she wanted to marry Jesus when she was 10 years old. And you're right. There is something oddly sexual about like all this gauzy tool, these brides. Brides (laughs) and veils. Exactly. But yeah. Yeah. To me, too, this group of brides has always been symbolic of, well, what is going to make you happy or what you think I should have isn't necessarily what's going to make me happy or what why, what I want to experience in my life. Right. It's kind of that standard, I don't know, heteronormative trajectory of get a job, get married. Or the grandmother who wanted her to give her soul to Christ and her that body too. to the man that she married. That too. This is what you were saying, I think. But what's that secret? It's a fundamental part of me or something that is authentic that I'm holding very close that you're not going to get at no matter what happens. So you can try all you want, but you're not going to have access to that. And if that is that, if the secret that the person can't access is the fundamental innocence inside that part, then you have to think the other secrets are the other parts of herself that have been stripped away. We told you all of our secrets, meaning you've taken everything away from me that made me me. My secret hiding place here, my this, my that, you've taken it all away. I've told you all, I've shown you, you've, you've taken it. You stripped me of those secrets, but there's one thing that you Mm -hmm. can't get at. And I still have that core of self. Yeah, it's in there somewhere, Mm -hmm. but it's there. It's all but one, and don't you even try. The phone has been disconnected. That to me is like a, not the climax of the song, but the point of no return, right? She's made a decision. She's not letting him, whoever is taking these secrets away. She's made the decision not to let that person do that mm-hmm. anymore. The phone has been disconnected. We're yeah. done, right? She's cutting cut off cor- your access. Yeah. You can't get there. Yeah. Yeah, she's cut the cord. Mm-hmm. with blood and with time and with your advice. What is that? To me, this is the climax of the song. This is like a low point where I've reached maybe rock bottom of that amnesia or I've given everything away and forgotten who I am or been seduced by whatever it is. And then there's going to be a shift after this point and sort of a reclaiming of all of those things. I don't even know what it means like in a sensical way or like a if I'm trying to piece together like a oh, it's about a girl who's going to LA. I don't know what this means. Yeah. Is she dripping with blood? And like, what is it? She's been put through the ringer. She is lost. Ah. We are lost. I've tried. I've given everything away. I've tried to be everything you wanted me to Mm be. I've tried to follow your advice. I've tried to do everything right. And in the process, I've given up on everything that was important to me or everything I knew to be true or I knew myself to be. And now I don't even know who I am anymore. You saying that, just instantly made it so much clearer. The brides and veils have been lifted before my eyes. You're dripping with blood and with time, you're getting older and everybody's got their advice on you. You're just covered in all of this filth of it all. I love that she's paralleling your advice to blood. Dripping with blood is never a good thing. Dripping with your advice and dripping with time. None of these are good things. You're right. I tried to follow your path and this is where it got me. Yes. Poison me against the moon. And I love, love, love poison me against the moon. Because <laughs> the moon is primitive. Right. The moon is feminine. The moon is my... Yeah, she's a woman. It's herself, right? Yeah. Back to the spiritual metaphysical read. Yeah. The moon is the mother. But also like the primitive part of self. Again, feminine. Things that happen in the nighttime. To me, there's also something very witchy mm-hmm. about it. Mm-hmm. And you've been kind of indoctrinated to believe that, you know, certain parts of you or your belief system are bad. Mm-hmm. Poison against the moon. I just love that. There's like a betrayal here. 
Yes. Or you've managed to turn me against everything that I knew to be true. And myself. Yeah, and myself. Mm. Mother, the core is here. Somebody leave the light on. Black chariot, father red. Different mode of transportation. For some reason, I always picture like a black Lincoln town car, which is what labels always transported their artists around in, in the 90s. Really? Oh, for sure. Yeah. And this is like a step up. To me, Green Limousine is either like Motley Crue or going to the prom. I don't know that I pictured it as a Lincoln Town Car or anything like specific like that. I always pictured it as a very regal chariot and just the word chariot. But I always pictured it as like now she's the queen of fakery or the queen of being who you want me to be. Mm. And she's getting really good at it. And she's achieved queen status, right? Yeah. I feel a fall coming. <laughs> it's only a matter of time. I want to sort of redeem myself, if it's possible, (laughs) at this late stage in the album. Because even though I said it was my least favorite song on the album, this has always been in my top three lyrics on the album. This lyric is beautiful. Don't give me that look. Backpedal, backpedal. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. (laughs) It stands out on the album. I escape into your escape into our very favorite fearscape. It's beautiful. And I Mm -hmm. get it in a very deep way, I think. So I'd like to give my go at it. I want to hear your opinion first. Well, first of all, I want to say there's something about I escape into your escape into our very favorite fearscape that makes me see something almost animated. And these characters like run, and it's not going to make any sense, but almost running through like a series of animated tunnels where like the colors are changing and I can see like layers moving towards the camera. I don't know. That's probably way too much to try to pull that out of my head and describe it to you. But no, that's it's kind funny of because what I, I have a vision for that line as well. That exact line, not that same vision, but I see her in the Silent All These Years video, except much more desperate and much more dire at the end where she's like running through the halls, hitting walls, like running into the mm. wall and like trying to get out of there. Oh, except good. for it's like a horror show. Because I've become you. And now I realize at the very last second that I have become you or have done my whole life what you wanted me to do. And I have to get out right now or I will never get out again. Mm. So that's why it's become a fearscape to me. It was like a horror show. Mm. I love that. Um, And this seems to be, there's another character here with us, maybe because it's into your escape, into our very, not my or I escape. Um, That could also be kind of a union of the physical and non-physical maybe, or the human with like the higher self. If you really want to go there, I Mm -hmm. can see that. But there's kind of a diving back into authenticity for me. And I'm going to continue on with this experience, but maybe I have a different awareness of it now. And Fearscape, I don't know. I just love that language. But again, just life in general can be challenging and scary. And if it isn't, you're probably not living it to its fullest, right? So like, I'm going to dive into this, maybe with a new awareness that it's ultimately an illusion. And I'm more than this, but I'm still going to take it all in. I love that. I guess I metered it out a little differently because I took her trying to escape in that moment. I escape into your escape and she just can't get out. And it's across the sky is sort of the direction of where she needs to go. It's across the sky and across my own heart. I have to get back to my own self. And then I cross my legs. Oh my God. It's all in me. I don't know. What, how do you take the cross my legs? 
I love it because it's so like blown out, over dramatic, grandiose, and then she brings it way, 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 way back to something so simple and mm-hmm. so human. Like mm-hmm. then I cross my legs, and it's like a moment of pondering what's happening, or just like yeah, taking it back to the human, or it's all about how you're going to react to all of this, not necessarily being able to control it or getting too swept away in a story. I always look at every Tory song, and we've said this before, and I've definitely encouraged us to do this on every episode, the eight that we've completed so far, that there's a moment of truth in every song, right? And I look at every play, every movie, like, what is the moment of truth being offered? And until we had this discussion today, I couldn't put words to why I felt this was the moment of truth. But obviously, it's the moment of truth because it reaches this climax, right? And then she pulls it really close inside. And it just is like, what did you say? Uh, You said a pondering. But to me, it's almost like a, a discovery of I cross my legs, meaning I've let so many people inside. This is for me now, mm. where it's like, I'm I'm shutting the door and the phone has been disconnected. I cross my legs, oh my God, is the discovery of I have let people, I've given myself away and that's the moment of stopping it. I love that and I think that's present for sure. But I also love I cross my legs as another moment of becoming aware that you're performing for someone. And I almost think of like Leather when she crosses her legs and she's in that like, I'm sexy, I'm cute. And there's like awareness like, oh, this is all a performance. Like this isn't real. How do I feel about that? Have I given myself away for something? I think we can take that read too on this line. First my left foot, then my right because it is so hollow now right the way she says it Mm -hmm. feels very hollow it's not the good soldier that she was before no it's something's definitely changed and then even the last line breadcrumbs lost under the snow gone forever right ugh can't take it yeah gone forever or i have to find a new way because what was working for me before isn't so i have to find a new path somehow or find my way back home through other means it's funny how tori has mentioned being so comfortable in the winter and in the cold and she considers herself a winter girl that snow takes on different meanings snow is present in a lot of her music Ice, snow, cold is present throughout, right? You go as recently as Reindeer King Mm. in 2017. You got winter, carbon, icicle, black dove, January. You've got a lot of cold songs, right? And here, breadcrumbs lost under the snow. The snow takes on almost an ominous or tearful and regretful. The way it falls here is very regretful and sad Mm. as she fades away forever in my reading of it because breadcrumbs, the little that she was and the little that she has left is gone forever, is how I read that. And breadcrumbs, of course, is directly from Hansel and Gretel, oh, which is God. what she referenced before. And Hansel and Gretel, I think... They get eaten. Birds eat the breadcrumbs. They're not covered by snow, but same concept, different execution. But the kids get eaten. No, they don't. Don't they? No. Don't they get eaten in the oven? Hansel and Gretel don't. Other kids do. They push the witch into the oven and escape. Oh. Spoiler alert. I forgot about that part. <laughs> He's gonna change my name. I can't believe that one of the most pivotal lines in the song is not anywhere to be found in the printed lyric. I can't believe it either. Knowing Tori Amos, that never happens. <laughs> but that line is, he's going to change my name. It's not here. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. 
you know, you can take it two ways. She's going to get married to the man and then it's this lover that she's been flirting with, flirting with disaster with for the whole time. He's going to change my name. Still leave the light on, please. Mm. My or, identity is going to get folded into this relationship almost. Exactly. Yeah. Or she literally changed her name. She changed her name from Myra Ellen. Yeah, that's what I always think of, of course. To Tori Ellen. Yeah. <laughs> and then going back to that quote where I didn't realize she was obliterating five generations of Ellens and she didn't care. With the snap of a finger. Yeah. <laughs> her mother said that kind of with a little regret in that little quote that we read earlier, right? But she maintained Ellen. She did eventually. Tori Ellen. Tori Ellen. <laughs> I mean, no one was in love with Myra, so they yeah. were fine to let that go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think Tori being named Myra was a mishap on par with Oprah? Because Oprah was supposed to be Orpa. Really? And they wrote Oprah on her birth certificate. Shut up, And they really? were like, eh, guess we'll keep it. Maybe Tori was supposed to be Mary and they transposed it and it became Myra. And they were no, like, No, she eh. was supposed to be Irma. Irma Ellen? Oh, Beautiful. It is beautiful. It's my grandmother's name. I knew I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite lyric in this entire song, David Anderson, Go? It is that whole section from I Walked Into Your Dream through Poison Me Against the Moon. Slays me. And I just think it's really beautiful. And so the whole second verse? Yeah. That's your favorite one lyric? Listen, you've pulled similar tricks that in our time. Research so. the only eight episodes we've done, and I have not. Mm-hmm. Well, I stand by it. It's a passage. It's a chunk. You can't just take one line or one word. <laughs> well, my favorite lyric is, I escape into your escape into our very favorite fearscape. It's across the sky and across my heart, and I cross my legs. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. I love a climax, you know? You're always chasing them. But if one were to ask me what my favorite Tory lyrics of all time are, I think that's what I would choose. That whole verse? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Let's get a second, you go, girl. <laughs> you go, girl. What is your favorite vocal moment? I think my favorite vocal moment is the very final, maybe you'll leave the light on. Maybe you'll leave the where she sings it in kind of a high-pitched, oh, it kills me. And then that whisper of, he's going to change my name. He's I'm going to gonna... start crying right now. Don't cry. I'm not prepared for this. I know. It doesn't matter what I'm in the middle of, what's going on. Every time I hear this song, but particularly that part, I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Eve, what's your favorite vocal moment? I think my favorite vocal moment is just, oh my God. Oh my God. I find such discovery in that moment. Like such self-realization. It's so dramatic. Yeah. You know, and when I would rock the song in my room, when I'd rock this banger in my room, it that was the part where I would always feel most connected to the song. I escape into, because it finally like picked up, got really hard there, got like really edgy. I love that other kids at this point were rocking whatever like hip hop and R&B. I'm thinking yeah. of, remember the black or white video, Michael yeah. Jackson, mm-hmm. when the angry dad comes into Macaulay Culkin's room and it's like, turn that music down. And our version of that, we were blasting mother at yeah. full volume like crying <laughs> like turn that racket down <laughs> do you have any favorite musical moments in this song david i do and it's subtle but for me it's the piano right after the final whispered he's gonna change my name there's something about it that's one of those moments where she's never performed it live the way it is on the album and i'm always kind of disappointed i want to be that person who's like can you play the piano exactly like this this way talula no tornado yeah <laughs> <laughs> How about you? What's your favorite musical moment? The little bit immediately following Breadcrumbs Lost Under the Snow. It feels to me like a total denouement. Like it completely feels like falling action. And the... This song is stacked with favorite moments for me from Tori. <laughs> musical, lyrical, mm-hmm. and all the rest. 
And I'd like to point out that that moment that you're citing is also the moment where the person doing the transcription for the sheet music just gave out. Yeah. They're like, I'm done. We're done here. Let's just say it fades out after this line and I can't be bothered with the rest. David, since our Ellie poetry game failed so miserably, I want you to write a refrigerator magnet poem using the words dancing, other, clever, and moon. What? I didn't raise my hand for this assignment. You want me to go first? Yes, you go first. So I went ahead and I wrote a poem as if I was in high school. Yeah, yeah, me too, me too. This poem I'm about to read would be at home in any of my journals. Dancing with the moon, I look the other way and see the clever boy dancing in the sun. Hmm. Sad. That's beautiful. It's about though. being an outsider, David. What? Well, I didn't get that at all. Really? I'm kidding. Oh. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> all right, your turn. All right. Untitled number one, behind the clever other mother, I see your moon dancing. (laughs) Another successful segment. Great. (laughs) Speaking of beautiful musicianship, for the musical section today, we've invited our friend Paul Roy Taylor to come give us a full in-depth music lesson because the piano playing on this song is so rich that we needed a musician's ear. And so here he is. Hi, Paul Roy. Hello, Eve. Is this your first appearance on our show, Paul Roy? Yes. Um, it's nice to meet you. It's a pleasure <laughs> to, to be on the show. It's nice to finally <laughs> meet you, Paul Roy. Paul Roy is a musician and friend from years and years back. Paul Roy runs a website. Would you like to tell people about your website? Um, sure. So it's figuratoryout.com. And those of you who um, are familiar with Figure It Out, the Yahoo group, which was around for about 20 years and um, had a lot of contributors over the years. There's about 250 songs, I think, on there some real rarities. But yeah, so Yahoo Groups closed um, in December. And I was just about to kind of let all these pieces just disappear to the ether. But three days before they closed the group, I decided to put this this um, repository together. So figuratoryout.com, it's free. You do have to sign up for some pieces just because it's out of respect for the transcribers who um, had these pieces behind password protection through the group. So, Figuratoryout.com. Paul Roy is the moderator. Go sign up now. And he's here to talk about Yanta's cover of Mother. I've played it a bunch of times. I'm ready to look at it with like a critical eye. So I don't know anything about playing the piano, so I'm ready for this private lesson. So roll it, Oliver, and whatever comes to mind, Paul Roy, just shout it out. So this little bit, I've always thought this was either an improv or it was spliced into Mother. It's like a different signature. It's 4-4, Mother's 2-2, which just means it's 4-4 but faster, essentially. Um, But the time signature jumps all over the place, whereas like the rest of Mother's consistent. The key's different. Um, It's E flat major, the rest of the song is G flat major. I think I'm getting that right. So yeah, I think it's a splice a little bit, but it's pretty. I'm glad it's there. Um, it is not in the Little Earthquake songbook. Surprise, surprise. The Little Earthquake songbook is a crime, like punishable by death <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. All right, we have the, the bass melody that we hear throughout the whole song. It hops around in terms of octaves. Out of the nest, it's time. 
Beyonce really catches the um, subtle variations in the bass that's hard to do. It's got a really good ear for the variations. Yeah, it's annoying. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, her voice follows the melody of the piano, not like horses or something like that. So that first my left foot part, like it actually is, the bass is pretty low, but in the song, you can't really hear how low it is. It's really soft. Ah, oh, best part. Well, it's one of the best parts. I love that little, oh, so good. She's gonna change my name a little part. It's so good. And now we have our little melody back to that that takes over for a while. It's interesting that this song um, stays the same signature, time signature throughout. Um, I hadn't realized that until I really took a look at it. I mean, Tori's known for changing key and time signature a lot, so that is pretty unique, right? Yeah, that little, that intro changes um, time signature like five, six times, like just in, in that 35 seconds or however long it is. And then the rest of the song stays in 2-2? Two, two. Yeah, 2-2 two, two is basically just 4-4, four, four, but it's faster. slight variation on the melody. You only hear it once. It's only one measure, but it's it's the prettiest part to me. I love it. She could totally change the whole song if she incorporated that into more of the piece. Yeah. This interlude, like, it, just personally, it feels like a lot to me because we, you know, it's, it's just so much part of the song in its entirety. I actually interweave... Um, the ring my bell bridge into this. I just <laughs> I change I change the key and believe it or not it fits it fits right in. Um, Is it basically like I'm glad you're home, mother? <laughs> I mean, if if you were singing it, yes. But I'm just <laughs> it it really meshes. And you know, like they were probably she was probably tinkering with both of these songs at the same time. So you can ring my mom. The Little Earthquake sheet music book after um, Crumbs Lost Under the Snow, this part, this, this, this little bit, this really pretty part, it's so pretty. That is massacred in the sheet music book. So the sheet music book ends right here. There's a whole 
two minutes left in the song and it ends right here. It just reminds me of it. The key is different, but, um, you know. tape of 10 Tory songs and put this one on there. Really? Top 10? Yeah, I put it on there, like, as one of the piano solo pieces. Like, it's a pretty, I think it's a pretty important song um, in terms of her early work, don't you? What about it makes you put it in a list of important songs? I mean, it's, if I'm thinking about, like, the rest of Little Earthquakes, it is the only one that doesn't have any other instrumentation, isn't it? Does Leather have instrumentation? Yeah, Leather has guitar and bass and some strings. Mm-hmm. So it's perfectly raw. You could imagine her totally just improvising through half of this. On this episode, I'm on a quest to figure out Mother. I'm on a quest to find out why everyone loves the song so bad, and I have never really connected with it. But that's a really great point, is that it's the only song on Little Earthquakes that is just Tori and the piano. We think of Tori as a solo pianist, and she did an entire world tour following this album with just her and the piano. But this is the only song on the album that supports her and a piano. Everything else has added instruments. Wow. The B-sides have, you know, here in my head, and they, they have, there's some, like, that there but it's not the lyrics that I really attach to on this song it's the um purely the piano and the melody and it's it's really really pretty there's just these little like one measure changes that she does you only hear them once and really adds to the song so those are my thoughts on mother I'm curious to see what you think about ring my bell spliced in if you can actually hear it or not well, let's play that right here. Of course, support Yanta by going to patreon.com slash Yanta. He's amazing, right, Paul Roy? Genius, genius. He's been revising a lot of songs, although I never understand his revisions because they're perfect to me. So <laughs> You're like, what did you change? <laughs> I know. He's got like a like weird bio mechanical ear that can hear these like super intricate parts of the song. Um, we should have you back on before the end of the Little Earthquake season, hopefully on the Little Earthquakes episode. What do you think? I can commit to that. Great. We'll see you again then, everybody. This is Paul Roy playing Mother with Ring My Bell Bridge.
On the line, all the way from Iowa City, we have Emily Cousin. She is a friend and supporter of the show. She's also a mother super fan. Hi, Emily. Hi, Efren and David. Thank you for being on our show. Yay! Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. So tell us first and foremost about your love of Tori, how you discovered her, and give us all the dirty details. Okay, so I'm fairly sure that it was 1995 when I first heard Tori. I would have been in high school. My older brother is awesome, and he always had a great music collection. And I had one of my friends, Kim, over, and we decided to take a nap. And we chose my brother's room because it was the swankest place in the house. He had the basement room with the heated waterbed and, like, lava lamps and, like I said, the awesome music collection. So uh, that's where we were, and I was looking through his music CDs to pick something to listen to while we were laying down. So I was just reading off CD titles to my friend Kim. And I got to Under the Pink, and I said, oh, Tori Amos, Under the Pink. And she said, oh, my older sister really likes her. Let's put that one in. And I said, okay, and we popped it in. And so that was my very first time hearing Tori. So my very first song, of course, would have been Pretty Good Year. You know, we were kind of lulled into this. We were on this heated waterbed trying to take a nap, listening to the lulling sounds of Pretty Good Year. When the bridge hits... <laughs> And of course, we were completely unprepared for it. And we both like jumped out of our skin. Kind of really, yeah, it makes me laugh. And then um, another funny memory to me is I definitely distinctly remember questioning multiple times if she was singing in English or not, because I couldn't <laughs> understand so much of what she was saying. But I must have told my brother that I really liked it because that year for Christmas, my parents gave me my first CD player. It was a three disc changer. And my brother gave me both Under the Pink and Little Earthquakes for Christmas. And I absolutely fell in love. So that was how I first got to know Tori. You're taking me back with this heated waterbed. <laughs> it was fantastic. <laughs> so when did you discover Mother and how did that grow to be one of your favorite songs? I don't remember what I thought on the first listen, but I remember it must have turned into a favorite for me relatively quickly because when I started going to shows in 96, I really wanted to hear it. I think for me, it was one of the most special songs because one of the reasons I'm so drawn to Tori and especially at the beginning was that I play the piano and it's my favorite instrument and she just plays the most incredibly beautiful piano music I've ever heard in my life and I think that was one of the first things that stood out to me. When I listen to this song as far as what it means to me I'll be really interested to hear you guys your line by line because I always actually learn a lot and get some new perspectives on the songs which is really cool. But for me, the song has always been a really beautiful coming-of-age story. You know, that moment where you've been wanting to be independent and gain independence, but you're kind of in that transition point, and there is some fear to that and going out on your own. Mm. And I think that's a very relatable story for all of us. So I think that, you know, that part kind of hits home maybe when, yeah. when we hear the song and how we relate to it. Do you have any favorite lyrical moments or what are the things that really stick out? Like you wait for this moment when the song plays. Mm, it's kind of divided. The somebody leaves the light on and then leading into so I can remember where I come from. What does that mean to you? Just like I said, the whole stepping out into the world on your own and wanting that to still be connected to your home and where you're from and still be able to find your way there when you need to and feel that safety from where you're from. Right, like you can always go back if things get dire. Yes, and and to know that you still have love and support there. What's your favorite musical moment? God, there's so many beautiful musical moments in the song. The intro is phenomenal. And then if I were going to nest further within that intro, I would say my favorite part of the intro is when she hits that low note really hard, that bah, 
drum and then mm. goes da 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 da. So just that low note, just oh, so fun. It's fun to play too. But I also one line or musical line that always makes me kind of tear up every time I hear it is after the bridge and she says breadcrumbs lost under the snow and then there's a small little music interlude before she starts singing again oh it's just every single time that part makes me tear up it's just gorgeous so I always kind of wait for that part too how has your relationship with the song changed in the 25 years just as a as a Tory fan and have you ever had a chance to request a song live it's always remained one of my favorites and almost kind of that like hidden favorite B-side sort of feel. I know it's not a B-side, but it doesn't seem like an obvious pick to me necessarily. And sometimes when I first listen to an album, for example, I would say Silent All These Years was my first favorite off of the album. But there's some that like later just like sneak up and grab hold of you and they still feel like somehow kind of rare and protected. And it's always kind of felt like that to me that like I don't hear it as often or see it as often and and somehow you know those those stay kind of special over time the only thing that would be different for me would be maybe that when I first heard it it was everything that I heard from her was so new but now that it's one of the songs from her first album it doesn't have that new feel to it anymore yet it still feels comfortable instead of new but I still feel like I love it just the same does that make sense yeah 100% so I, I've never requested it live the one time, even the one time I got I requested some songs from Tori I, I ran into her in an elevator it was so unexpected I was in Sioux City, Iowa, and what other city besides Sioux City, Iowa, would I be able to be afforded to stay at the same hotel as Tori is? <laughs> so because, you know, that's just a spot where, like, I can afford to stay in, I guess, what was the nicest hotel in town. <laughs> and so I get into the elevator, and she walks onto the elevator with me, and I lost it, which I do every time I meet Tori. I just cry. I'm ridiculous. <laughs> and she was so sweet and she always is and she took my hands and she was like oh sweetie are you coming to the show tonight and I was like yes, yes, yes. and she said uh, what would you like to hear and I was not prepared at all for that moment I wish I was prepared and if I could have just said like this I've always wanted to hear this that maybe it would have worked but I just rambled off a few songs like I love this and this and this but play anything just play anything <laughs> <laughs> type of thing so you heard Mother for the first time on July 26, 1996 in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Tell me about that. So this was a big moment for me. This would have been my second Tory show. I lived in Davenport at the time, so it was about an hour and a half drive to get to Cedar Rapids. And I had packed me, I had my friend Kim that was with me when I first heard Tory, and I had my younger sister with me. And us gal, we were on our way to Cedar Rapids to go see Tory. And on the way, we stopped about halfway to get food. And when we went to get back into the car, the car wouldn't start. And I was like, you are kidding me. You are. And this was before cell phones. So I had to go to the manager and use their phone in their office. And I called up my parents and they were more than willing to come get us. But we had a miscommunication and they thought I was going to try the car one more time. And if it didn't work, they would come up. And I thought they were just going to start coming up right away. So when they didn't show up in an hour and I called back and realized they had not even left yet, I knew we were going to miss a good chunk of the show. So I lost it. I was crying and screaming at the car and kicking the tires. You know, bless my parents. They came on up and picked us up and got us to the show. And we did miss 
a good chunk of it like I knew we would. But um, when we walked into the theater, she was playing Mother, and it was a song that I really wanted to hear. And just the entire lobby and auditorium was just filled with it. And it was beautiful. It was so beautiful. And I was so glad to get to hear some of it. But of course, I'm crying again. Oh, she's playing Mother. But it was one of those experiences. And I had to wait a long time before I saw it again. It was six years before I had a chance to see it again. So that was quite an emotional one for me there. I would love to play you out with that. Do you have any final parting words on Mother or anything Tori-related? It's even though I feel like it kind of almost feels like an unassuming song on the album. It also, I think in some ways, is like the ballsiest song on the album. Behind me at a gun, probably. Um, Just in terms of like coming out on this 90s pop album and clocking in at almost seven minutes is the longest song on the album. And it's got this piano intro to it and it's only piano vocal. And I just feel like it was so unique. Like I said, it's I love it for that reason too, that not only do I feel like it's kind of unassuming, but it's also kind of like super ballsy to have, be on that album. And I love that. You know, I never looked at it that way, but you're right. To come out and have the longest track on the album be just her and piano really unequivocally says, this is who I am. At the time in the early 90s, when people wanted her to be either the female Elton John or the white Nana Cherry, they wanted her to be something else, to be in the middle of the album, this we're going to stop everything. We're just going to have this beautiful piano ballad. You're right. There was kind of a resistance in that already. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's lovely observations, Emily. You can find Emily Cousins on Instagram at mcousins. That's E-M-C-O-U-S-S-E-N-S. Follow Emily Cousins on Instagram, and we're going to play you out with July 26, 1996. This is Mother in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Thanks so much for being on our show, Emily. Thank you so much, Ephraim and David. You guys are amazing, and I love it. Bye. Goodbye, Ephraim. On the line, we have Alexander Leger-Small, longtime listener, first-time caller. Hi, Alexander. Hi, Ephraim. How are you? I'm doing great, thanks. I'm very, very excited to be here with you today. For your debut appearance on our show? Yes, love what you guys are doing. I'm just, I'm excited to finally get to be a part of this amazing project. Yes. Do you have a mother? I do have a mother. (laughs) Uh, My mother's name is Grace. Oh, that's one of the adjectives I would use to describe you. Ooh, I'll take it. One time somebody told me when my mother came to visit in L.A., they said, oh, I just never thought you had family. I thought you were hatched. I'm like, Jesus. (laughs) You are very unique. Thank you. So I think that's a compliment. Yeah, I took it as such. So talk to me about your love of Tori Amos, how you first discovered her music and what she means to you. Sure. So it's appropriate that I'm here for mother because I discovered Tori through my mother. Uh, My mother has excellent taste in music. 
And when I was a kid, a young kid, so we're talking 90s, she bought Little Earthquakes when it came out, and it was in heavy rotation at our house, like along with Sarah McLaughlin and the Cranberries and the Indigo Girls. So I had a really strong foundation in powerful female singers from a really early age. Tori, is she's always been there with me. Like I was seven when that album came out. So my relationship with Mother in particular is really informed by being a little kid and connecting with that album. Do you and your mother share like the knowledge of that connection? Like you bond over Tori? Yes. So my mom went to the Under the Pink tour without my sister or I. (laughs) And then she brought my sister. (laughs) I know. I I think I was like eight. My sister was 12. So inappropriate. (laughs) But then she took my sister to two drop in as like one of her first concerts. And then I was finally old enough to go see a show when Choir Girl came out. And she bought me tickets for that. And she's actually supplied me with many rounds of tickets for Tory shows. So it's a nice thing that we share. And you've been to shows with your mother? No, we have yet to. Hopefully this will be the tour. I'd love to get her to Boston. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah, if we're lucky. Tell me about Mother, what Mother means to you, the song, and what your thoughts are. Sure. So I think, and David, I think would agree with me. Um, I love Tori most when she is alone with the piano. And the opening section of Mother is some of the most beautiful, clarion, clear playing of her career. I think it's the most beautiful song on Little Earthquakes and such a wonderful representation of who she is as an artist. I think it's a really good gateway song to give to somebody for Tori and be like, do you want to know what she's about? It's right here. It's about the virtuosity of being a piano player, but the incredible talent that she has as a songwriter as well. I'm a writer myself. The wordplay throughout the song is incredible. One of the things that makes it most appealing to me is the way the music reflects ideas in the lyrics. There's something about the percussive nature of that underlying rift that sounds like somebody constantly starting to run and then being held up the like da 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 like you're not ever gaining that full speed there's a hesitation in it mm-hmm. and i think that's really reflected in the lyrics of wanting to go the car is here to take me to this thing that i want to do but please leave the light on So I can come home too. I don't want to commit to this fully. So something David and I discussed too is how much imagery is just like is present in this song. How much beautiful imagery Mm -hmm. is in the song. What are some of your favorite visual images that you get when you listen to this? First my left foot, then my right behind the other. Breadcrumbs lost under the snow. First of all, I can see Soldier Tori marching out from her front porch, pulling her helmet down, putting one foot in front of the other Mm -hmm. like almost barefoot walking in the snow like walking on glass sort of to just keep pushing herself forward again going back to that rhythm in the music the colors green limousine the black chariot the redhead dancing girl they're very present and they're 
bold colors. And when I think of the song, I sort of think of washes of those colors Mm -hmm. at particular times. Poison Me Against the Moon is another one. I couldn't tell you what it means to poison someone against. I don't know if it's like sort of a play on posing against the moon, but it's a very sinister image to me. That whole verse is super sinister and striking and cold. And it feels like October in that moment in the song. What's your favorite lyrical moment? It's probably somebody leave a light on. Mm-hmm. Also, cross the sky, cross my heart, cross my legs. Oh my God. The way she says, oh my God, there it shameful but it's also teasing and it's knowing and it's embarrassed like she can put so many different feelings into a single word in the 28 years since this album was released how has your relationship with mother the song changed and does that reflect your relationship with your own mother second part of that question first is yes my relationship with the song has mirrored a relationship with my mother So a little off track here, when I was a kid, I couldn't listen to Winter because it would make me cry because the emotions of it, like the concept of growing away from your parents was really hard for me as a kid. And some of that spills over into Mother for me. And it was also like there was a period of time where I couldn't listen to it without just breaking down into tears. I think that as I've matured as an emotional being, but also as a gay man, I've had to learn how to kick myself out of the nest a little bit to get away from the crutch that I used my mother as. So where this song first was about fear of having to go out of the nest to ask to leave the light on, it is now sort of a talisman that I can carry that was like, I had to do this. I had to go out into the world and be ready to get hurt by people and myself and whatever came. Have you ever requested Mother Live? I have not. I have not. So I had thought about it on Native Invader and I thought better of it because of what was going on with her own mother. And I thought that it might be too hard of a place for her to connect with. Right. I really needed it in 2017. My relationship with my own mom is not fantastic these days. So to have heard her sing that would have been a balm for my soul. But I think there's a level of appreciation you have to give her and know when you can ask for certain things. I love what you said about how her music can act as a balm or a salve to sort of heal the wounds. Absolutely. And I think a lot of the queer Tory fans kind of refer to her as mom and joke about it but also she holds that place even though like i had conversations with her but she wasn't she was only speaking back to me through the music but i turned to her as a teenager just as much as i turned to my mom to help me through those terrible times Mm -hmm. i was gonna bring up a little piece of trivia that i wanted to throw out to the listeners and see if anybody could help me with uh that is always stuck with me in this song. My dad's extended family is very religious. My family was not growing up, but we camped with them. And there was a campfire song that we would sing. Three little leprechauns all dressed in green tried to get to heaven in a limousine. And it repeats it's sort of a round kind of song. But I'm positive that there were lyrics about a black chariot in it, too. And I wonder, my dad and Tori are similar ages. I wonder if it was like a religious song from her childhood that she somehow tied into 
the lyrics or if it's just a weird coincidence. Well, if you know anything about this Three Little Leprechauns All Dressed in Green song out there, please tweet at us at Songs of Tori Amos and solve this lifelong riddle, this lifelong conundrum for Mr. Alexander Leger Small. I will be in your debt, fellow listeners. Tell me one more thing. What is your favorite musical moment? Is it the intro? Is it the opening intro? It's either that or like around 527 when it's gone into like the third movement and... I think she's saying here and she kind of stretches it and goes up and down with it. And it's this beautiful moment. Also the first time she sings somebody leave the light on the note she hits on on is just so it's like a bell ringing. It's so pure. And she sounds so innocent. I will restart the song to hear that part over and over again. Have you ever heard mother live? And can you tell us when so we can play you out? I have. It was the second time that I saw Tori. It was on the Strange Little Girls Tour with my best Tori friend, Melissa Perry, who I think is listening to this right now. So it was in Wallingford, Connecticut. It was a great show. That's also the first night that I got to meet Tori. So... Uh, I'd love it if you would play that for me. We absolutely will play that for you. If you want to find Alexander Leger Small, you can find him on Instagram at Alexander Leger Small. You can find him at the people that we follow on Instagram. This is Wallingford, Connecticut, October 14th, 2001. Thank you, Alexander. Thank you so much for having me. Bye. Alive and live. Mm, just the way I like it. Let's be upfront about this. Tori Amos has performed Mother, as far as we know, a total of 148 times. But I can pretty much guarantee you she's played it more than that. Yeah. Because we don't have full set lists for 92. We don't have full set lists for 94. And we don't have full, entirely full set lists for 96. But I think that we have most of them. So I can pretty much guess that she's played it more. But she's played it at least 148 times that we know. And we're going to go through some of them. Mother really hasn't changed. No. And we couldn't identify any instance where she played that elongated intro. So we couldn't find any where she's played that. So I'm willing to bet that she's never played that. I would agree with that. Same way she's never performed the intro to Muhammad or Icicle. Yeah. Exactly as they appear on the album. Exactly. Sometimes there's a little noodling, maybe a variation on like a small piece of it, but never quite like this. So, mm-hmm. so for 1992, we're going to start with this performance on October 25th, 1992 and Amherst, Massachusetts, where she talks a little bit about writing that intro. It's a cute little story about her and the wolves. Mm. Well, the song 
the wolf was trying to sleep. And I went over to the piano and I was fucking off for like 45 minutes. Absolute nonsense. And I came upon this. David, I don't want to alarm you, but in our next clip from October 30th, 1992 in Detroit, Michigan, the wolf becomes the creature. <laughs> He's a werewolf. And if you listen carefully, she's kind of trying to play the intro. Yeah, well, Eric Ross in the audience. What was he doing in Detroit? You know, the day before Halloween. Out. They were going to hang out on Halloween together. All right. That's Probably true had a love. cute little couple's costume, oh. a wolf and a little red riding hood. Goals. But she was a sexy wolf. <laughs> <laughs> this seems like a good time to bring up another little song that she would perform in 1992. It was never recorded officially. It was sort of like an improv intro that she would perform occasionally, and usually at the top of the show, right? Yeah. We've dubbed it Numbness. I don't know if it's because it was written on a set list as Numbness, but we've dubbed it Numbness. And this is from August 29th, 1992 in Seattle. And do you want to talk a little bit about why we're going to play this here, David? Sure. There seem to be sort of callbacks or references to some of the same imagery that we find in Mother. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if these are connected somehow or what's going on there, but it's interesting. And like you said, she performed it from time to time at the top of a little earthquake shows and it was generally pretty much the same with slight variations we would still call it an improv i guess because it changed a little bit and like you said it was never recorded but exactly and the generally accepted lyrics are he knows a light won't stay her the lion's flown the nest for his love is gone that he gave her there's always one drop left but you forget, I'm not your daughter, nor will I wear your mother's dress, so it is. Take the field then, take the field then, for a war would be much more fun than this numbness. Roll it, Oliver. Oliver, our sound man. He knows a light won't stay Daughter, no will I wear 
1994, we have four known performances of Mother, and in 1996, we have 24 known performances of Mother. What do you think changed besides us getting all the set lists? I'm shaking my head in disappointment and disbelief, particularly at these Under the Pink stats, because two of my favorite Little Earthquake songs, Girl and Mother, were all Basically but, disappeared. Yeah. Disappeared. They ran off together, Mm. never to be seen again. A girl and her mother. Yeah. In 1996, there's one particularly meaningful to you, David. Do you want to talk about it? The first time I heard it was at the second to last show in Boulder, Colorado. 11-10-96. Yep. Roll it, Ollie. Thoughts? One of the best nights of my life. Really? Followed only by 11 11, 1996. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Ow, 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 ow. Ow, ow, Told you not to put your hand in there. In 1998, Tori Miss performed Mother a total of 11 times. One time was in the encore, and the rest were in secret time. Mm. We're going to skip over that year. Okay. <laughs> we got a mission. We're yeah. on a mission. Plowing through. In 1999, she performed it twice, and both times were with Merman. Interesting. With Ethel Merman? Yeah. That's weird. Ethel. It's an unlikely duet. Strange. So strange. In 2001, she performed it 11 times, and this is what we've been working for. We have a double feature, a back-to-back mother showing. The mom with two backs. This is October 30th, 2001 in New Orleans with a little bit of an improv. November 20th, 2001, the 10 p.m. show in San Diego. And the reason I'm playing this is because this is the first time I ever heard Mother Mm -hmm. live. It was the first time I ever heard Mother with you. Oh, my God. We were hearing it at the same time. Uh, Not together, though. No. No. 
Heavy foot. In 2002, on Scarlet's Walk, Tori Amos performed Mother a total of six times, three times as the first song in Secret Time, and three times as the second song in Secret Time. <laughs> we are struggling for stats here, people. Powerful stuff. Thank you. Captivating. But here's a really nice one. This is April 25th, 2003 in San Antonio, Texas. This was requested by Pasha, and I'm happy to play it because I was there, and it was wonderful. That's our new bumper. You're um, a vocal yanta. Shay suggested we slow it down to get the real feel of 2005. Oh my, producer credit coming uh, your way. Oh, oh associate producer. <laughs> um, in 2005, Tori Amos performed Mother 13 times, with a total of five of those instances being beside Mother Revolution. Clever. She couldn't mm. wait. Mommy, kiss me goodbye. Mommy? Are you my mother? Sorry. <laughs> in 2007, Tori Amos performed Mother, a total... I love that I call her Tori Amos. Is that, by now, we don't know who we're talking about. <laughs> we're not about. even on a first name basis with right. her. <laughs> Ms. Tori Amos. Ms. Amos. <laughs> in 2007, Tori Kelly performed Mother a total of eight times on the American Doll Posse World Tour. How many times do you think Tori Spelling did it? And I have an interesting stat about the 2007 tour, David. Give me that stat. She performed it eight times in the following order. She always performed it as Tori. The first two times she performed it were during Santa shows. The second two times she performed it were during Clyde shows. The third two times she performed it were during Isabel shows. Then she performed it once more during a Clyde show and then a Pip show. So Pip rarely ever saw Mother. It's almost as if that means nothing. <laughs> it's almost as if. It's like the Da Vinci Code, only dumber. Yeah, Santa, Santa, Clyde, Clyde, Izzy, Izzy, Clyde, Pip. <laughs> Done. See, it means something. Okay. It's got rhythm. 2009, David. It was sinful and it was attractive. Just like me. She performed the song eight times in 2009, but I want to talk about the one time she performed it in 2010. That was July 16th in Dublin at Ivy Gardens, and we received a voicemail, David, telling us all about this performance. Hi, it's Taxi Girl calling all the way from England to talk about the mother from Dublin 2010. Oh, what a show. It was amazing. The whole show, I think, was requests from the meet and greet. So I know that it was a request from someone. And you kind of have to watch the video to really understand why it was so massively cool. Because she's playing it. There's lots of emotion. We were very close to the stage. It was a standing show. It was outside. There were a lot of kind of mitigating circumstances that made it really, really good. Um, but I think the main bit for me that's what always brought me back to it as my favorite live version is that about halfway through it's the big piano-y bit where she's going oh, mother um and the wind just catches the hair it catches the big like triangle curtain things that she was using as the backdrop at the time and it felt like and other people said this as well it wasn't just me it felt like the whole universe and the whole weather system and everything in ireland was on her side and doing exactly what she wanted it to do 
during this big emotional piano bit. So, yeah, it was something. If you can get other videos from the show, I would genuinely recommend watching them because the whole show was beautiful. She really screwed up Beauty Queen. It was hilarious. Little improv. It was quality. And so that's why I love that version of Mother so much. All right. You take care now. Bye. Here it is, Dublin 2010, and you really should check out the video. It's very cool. First performed it five times in 2011 on the Night of Hunters tour. Night of Hunties. She skipped over it in 2012, but came back in 2014 to perform it 14 times. 14 of 14. This is her performance of Mother in Glasgow on May 10th, 2014 with a Land of the Selkies improv. It's time for the Native Invader Tour. Invade me. Bang, the world tour. Bang, the world tour. Bang, the world tour. Here's another voicemail. Hi, this is Andrea Adams. I'm calling to talk about Mother in Nashville. During the last tour, I was with my daughter Lillian, and we were having a very wonderful mother-daughter trip. That show in particular was focused on mother songs because we were in the mother church and the whole set was just beautiful and wonderful especially for me and and Lillian being a mother-daughter duo on our fun Tory trip and that performance made me cry for sure I think it would make me cry every time but under those circumstances it was the best anyway thanks for everything you do bye
last time Tori has played Mother to date? This is Los Angeles, California, December 2nd, 2017, second to last show on the Native Invader Tour. What if this was the last time we ever hear well, it? No, we're going to hear it so many more times on 2020. So many? Believe me. Because I'm going to ask for it at every show. Do it. I dare you. I'll give you $100 if you do. Okay. Threaten me with a good time. I get 100 bucks, and I get to hear Mother. The proof is in the pudding when she plays it for you, and then you ask for it again the yeah. next night. And do you, every time I'm going to act like I've never asked for it before. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Be like, hi, I'm David. I don't know hi, if you remember me. I don't know me. if you remember me. I really want to hear Mother. Mother. <laughs> Just really freak around. She won't be. The, she won't want to be like, "Honey, I played for you last night." Because she'll be like, "Wait, maybe I didn't. Maybe it's somebody else." Yeah. So I'm she'll play gas, it again. I'm gonna gaslight her and convince her she never played it. <laughs> like, no, you didn't. No. No, Tori, are you okay? Roll it, Ollie. made it david i know how do you feel i feel mothered do you feel like you were in labor for two hours yeah two and a half i don't know why women always make such a big deal out it of was it. nothing ain't no big deal ladies <laughs> you're listening to the pirates dance mix under this if you like what we do please head over to our patreon patreon.com slash songs of tori miss and you can subscribe you can become a supporting member where you'll gain access to our other podcasts, Tour All Year, and Drive All Night Plus. How exciting. Okay, this moment is emotionally loaded for me. Are you ready? I'm going to ask you the big question. Ask, I will not marry you. Like, do you want to get married sometime? Like, not like now necessarily, but like, is that what we're moving towards? No. God. No. Okay, let me just shift gears real quick then. How do you feel about Mother now? I like Mother. It's my favorite song on the album now. Faint praise. I like Mother. No, I do like Mother. I like it better now than when I started with it. Okay, that's all I asked yes. for. I feel like you're still a little bit in that rebellious team phase but you're gonna come around you'll appreciate oh, you are the clever one you'll aren't appreciate you? mother one uh, day i do appreciate it i appreciate it much more now mm. i mean i've always loved mother and i think you're giving me a bad rap and you're painting me in a negative light to our audience i but haven't done anything i love mother i always feel how you really feel no i have i've always loved it it's just the one i connected to least but now that I have been the dancing girl of the pole, I understand the song. Daddy! I'm gonna change my name and Wash I like it. clean, Daddy! Like it. Let's play this game that I just invented. You ready? I'm ready. It's called Name a Song with the Word Mother in the Title, and the first person to balk loses. No, because I already I'll start. Keep... Oh. Mother, mother. Mm, I think I'm a mother. Mother Revolution. Mother stands for comfort. Mother May I. That is not a song. Is, are you kidding? By who? I don't remember. Uh-huh. Look it up on Spotify. Okay. CeeLo Green. I think you lose. Okay. I'm a mother perfume genius. We're done. Okay. We're done here. My game is he's going to change your 
name. Ooh. If a man changed your name, what would he change it to? Ephraim Pratt. Oh, like you're marrying Chris Pratt? Is yeah. that what's happening? Yeah. Well, if that's the game, then my name would be David Scott, which it already kind of is because that's my middle name. Oh. But if I married Adam Scott, it would be David Scott. Oh. Do you know what your parents would have named you if you were going to be a girl? I used to know at one point, but I can't remember anymore. But I just said, why didn't you name me that? <laughs> you should have just named me that. Ephraim? Come on. I like it. What was your name going to be? Were you born in the right body? My name was going to be Kristen Renee. Oh, beautiful. How do I feel about Renee? How are they going to spell Renee? I don't know. How Two does one E's? spell Renee? Probably. Renee. Renee. Can I refer to you as Renee? Well, I like Nadine better. I feel like that's the real me. My parents didn't get me even then. In the <laughs> Nadine womb. is the real you. I know. It really is. Like, I feel some weird sense of ownership and kinship with it. Yeah. The Nadine, she is my kin. Yeah. Sometimes you have to wait until you're an adult to decide your name. Now, people should name babies. Everyone should just be X until they choose their own name. That's what they did with Natasha. No, it's not. <laughs> Friends of ours out there, if you're still listening to us, head over to iTunes, leave us a five-star rating and a review. Also, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. We're just new podcasters at our ninth episode. We're just really trying to break into the biz. Show us how to do this. We don't know. We're, We're so confused. young. We're so naive this and innocent. And so also, if you like what we do, head over to all of our social media and follow us everywhere. We curate content on our Instagram at Songs of Amos. We don't curate anything on our Twitter at Songs of Amos, And our Facebook gets rarely posted to at Songs of Amos. It's a free for all. Pick your favorite platform and just go with it. If we need parental text, supervision. If you're looking for more intimate connection, email us at songsoftoryamus at gmail.com or call our hotline 323-296-9955 and leave us a message. Well, David, the car is here. All right, are we ready to leave the nest? Go, 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 go now. Go, go. Out of the nest. No, it's time. Out of the house, it's time. Looking at my watch. Get a job, get a life. I had fun doing this episode with you, David. It's good to see a song that you love and are passionate about. Did we do okay? I feel like I know the song better through your eyes. Does mother approve? Will your mother ever approve, David? Never. Bye. Bye. Drive All Night is a production of the Sideways Society. For more information and links to things mentioned in this episode, please visit us online at songsoftoriamus.com.